Friday, July the 29th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Some of you may be listening to this on July the 28th, so I do have to say a happy anniversary to Stephanie, my girlfriend. We've been together four years now, and we've been through quite a bit. We have Milo now, who's going to be turning three in November. We were together all through a pandemic where we spent a lot of time together, and I absolutely love Stephanie. She's my best friend. I've been very, very lucky. So happy anniversary to Stephanie. And she is one that makes life very easy on me, gives me the opportunity to do all of this stuff here, um, helps you know make my schedule, whatever I need to do for work. She's always helping me out there. So a big thank you to Stephanie. As we get into this episode of That's What She Said, that is presented by Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. Give them a follow right now on Twitter. Each and every day, there are different free previews, analysis for big sporting events. Right now, we're going through NFL previews. There's UFC, NASCAR, Formula One, tennis, golf stuff, baseball previews each and every day. Jonathan Papelbon is a part of Better Than Dodd Vegas, so you hear from an actual major league player who's been there, who's done it. Give him a follow at BTV Bets. On this episode, we're going to talk some Friday and Saturday racing. We'll hit Friday Saratoga and Saturday Saratoga best bets. Friday Del Mar, Saturday Del Mar best bets. We'll hit Saturday Louisiana Downs full card. Then we get into our AFC West team-by-team previews. We'll talk Chiefs, Chargers. We'll talk Broncos and Raiders with Eric. And then a big SummerSlam preview with Chad Cooper. We go through the SummerSlam card. We talk about Triple H now, now in creative, Stephanie McMahon and Nick Khan, the new CEOs, and Vince McMahon has stepped down. He is retired from the WWE. So we talk all about that, SummerSlam, some NXT, and some AEW on a very busy edition of That's What G Said podcast. Let's get right on into it. We'll start talking horse racing right off the bat, some Friday and some Saturday racing. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And 
any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. And join us Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, each and every week for our summer streams. We talk about everything happening in Stable Duel. We get you prepped for all the Friday and Saturday games. And then we talk Saratoga, dishing out some best bets. So you'll get Del Mar and Saratoga Friday morning with all the Stable Duel key information. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Basically, we're talking fantasy horse racing, DFS style with the salary cap-based format. You can play into contests and win big money. Check it out. Stable Duel. Let's check out some Friday Saratoga. I'm going to head on over and give out some best bets for Friday Saratoga. Let's look for July the 29th. We're going to start in race number one. I'm going to look at the number six in here, Bold Looker, who's going to put two starts together for the first time. He debuted back in November at Churchill Downs. He was fit that day, and he finished beaten two lengths, he was going long, really was not a bad effort at all. He came back in July, July the 3rd, so lots of time off, making his first start at three. He was 10th down on the inside, he was about seven lengths off, he was behind horses, he got shuffled back, he ended up losing a couple lengths and momentum, he really got going late, moving through traffic, was on the wrong lead, but was still picking up some pieces and making up ground. The sixth place finisher from that race came back to win a maiden special weight at Ellis Park next time out. The race is live. Saez jumps aboard. Second start off the bench. He has four winning siblings that have combined for six wins, all going long. I think he's just going to be better going long. That seven furlong race should set him up nicely. Second start off the bench. The number six, Bold Looker, 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around five will make a win wager there in race number one at Saratoga on Friday. Let's move to the fourth race. Five and a half furlongs on the turf. First level allowance for New York breads. And I'm going to look to the outside Silken Dollar. This three-year-old filly was in some traffic. And she was traffic and wide. Four deep. She ran in spots. She looked done, but she kept trying. 
and she cuts back, she may be able to sit off nicely, cutting back from seven to five for a long five and a half furlongs here. She ran behind a horse named Dream Central, who won a stakes race next out. The eighth place finisher from the race on June nineteenth came back to win a uh, at stakes next out at Finger Lakes. Exits the live race, some trouble. She's got a little more positional speed than she may have shown, and I think she can sit nicely in here from the outside. That's the number eight, Silken Dollar, who's ten to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around five, I think that would be fair value. We could make a win wager there. There's a stakes race in race number seven. It is the Curlin. I wouldn't be shocked to see Golden Glider run a lot better in here. Don't really have that strong of an opinion, though. I thought the 5, 7, 8, 9 made sense. Creative Minister is going to be the horse to beat. Be Better and Artorius will both take a lot of money. Maybe we can get Golden Glider into a, a pick 4, pick 5. Moving to the ninth race, the uh, final of the plays for Friday, Saratoga. I'm looking at the number 4, Quick to Blame, who faced tougher last time out. Now is back in a 50 starter. Cuts back, should sit off the pace nicely, cutting back from a mile to six furlongs. And look at some of the races that he comes out of. He was behind Call Me Midnight, Ethereal Road, Western River, who's running, uh, who's cross entered in a couple stakes races this weekend. Quick to blame on the cutback with Vikram showing some speed, maybe Life Changer, Motion to Strike, Street Culture, Dark Timber. They're all really fast. Even to the outside, you have horses like. Uh, Balthazar, who's going to press, and Nicholas James, who you know shouldn't be too far out of it. I think Quick to Blame could get a nice trip sitting off the pace in here. Six to one on the morning line. Anything around four would be worthy of a win wager. So that's Friday over at Saratoga. Let's head to Friday Del Mar. Get those past performances out for July the 29th. Let's flip to race number four for Del Mar for Friday. I'm looking at the number six Candy on top. Now. She's going to be making her first start since November. And when we saw her last year, she was a two-year-old. Now she's a three-year-old. So you're going to get that development from two to three. This is a barn who is really good off the long layoff. They've had Over their last 13 starters, uh, plus 180 days, five wins, three seconds, and three-thirds. That's just incredible. Lasix for the first time, eight workouts to get Candy on top to prep for this. And if you look at her races in October and September, a good race over this turf course where she was beaten just a neck. Candy on top is 6-1 to one on the morning line. Make sure to use her in your early pick fours and in pick fives and any exotics and definitely make a win wager if we can get anything around 4-1. to one. In the fifth race, I'm looking at the number four, La Vie. Five-year-old mare had a tough start last time out. She was five lengths off. She was three deep early. She just never really had a shot with that trip. But that wasn't a tough 25 starter allowance. She ran into a horse named Stormy Lady, who's a six-time winner. The runner-up, or the third-place finisher in there, Miss Carousel, that's a small stakes winner. That's a tougher group than she's facing in this non-winners of three. She's going to get back to the dirt. Overall, she's pretty consistent. She's had a lot of layoff lines and a lot of gaps. I always love when horses like that can put a couple starts together. She's been unlucky with some bad beginnings and some tough trips. She's just due for a smooth trip second off the bench for things to just go a little bit better than for her. Feels like a good spot. Race number five, the number four, La Vie. Eight to one on the morning line. Anything around five would make a win wager. The sixth race is the Daisy Cutter Handicap. It's a good race on paper. You have a lot of speed with legs galore and twilight gleaming to the outside. The Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint winner over this turf course back in November. 
But I do think with those two, they should be going pretty fast. Then you add in the possibility that a couple others can be you know, right up there close. I thought She's So Nice could actually sit the perfect trip. Phil D'Amato sounds like they want her to sit behind, and I think she can maybe sit third in here. And what's nice is she has enough speed to stay close, but she's not at all one-dimensional. We've seen her pass horses and come from way out of it. The number four, She's So Nice. She's 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 6, we'd make a win wager on her. So that's Friday over at Del Mar. Let's move from Friday to Saturday. Let's go back to Saratoga for Saturday. Saratoga, July the 30th. We're looking at Saturday, and we're going to go to race number two. Woo! Woo! Rarified Flare. I'm looking at the number two. He's going to stretch out and try the turf. His damn one going long on the turf at Saratoga. In his debut, he was in between horses. He was about ninth. He backed out of a spot, and he ended up losing a couple lengths, and he ended up having to back out all the way to about last. He really got going late and showed some nice late energy, finishing fourth. I think it should set him up very well for the stretch out here with the nice turf pedigree. That's the number two, Rarified Flare. Anything over 5-1 to one will make a win wager. I'll be throwing him into early exotics. Let's move to race number five. I'm looking at the seven in here. That's Big Bobby. Now, he comes off of a, a kind of a dull, disappointing effort last time out, but that was his first start since January, and if we can just eliminate that race, we can look at the January race and be forgiving because that was a race in the slop. And a lot of the work in the middle of the end, in the middle to the end of 2021 was really good. Second off a five and a half month break, he was moving into contention, but nobody made up any ground, and he backed up. He just kind of looked like a horse who needed the race. The winner. St. Selby came back to win a first-level allowance race next time out by 8.5 lengths with a 92 buyer. The 8th-place finisher from that race came back to win a non-winners of 3 at Finger Lakes. I'm going to give Big Bobby a look. 10-1. to 1. Anything around 5 felt a lot m- more honest. I wouldn't want to take lower than that, but if he's 5-plus, I'll give him a play. In race number 6, the number 5, Blissful. Be careful, she may get over bet. But if she doesn't, because people may look at Canterbury, she ran into some legitimate trouble last time out. She's certainly capable coming back to Saratoga, second start back. She broke her maiden here last year. In the ninth race, we've got the stakes race. We've got the Jim Dandy. And we have a couple really talented runners in there. Epicenter, your runner-up from the Derby and the Preakness. You've got Zandin. Third place finisher from the Derby, your Bluegrass winner. You've got early voting, your Preakness winner. I could see Epicenter trying to show more speed in this race because early voting was able to get away from him in the Preakness. And if those two hook up, can Tawny Port sit the trip maybe right behind them, get the jump on Zandon? I think if you're looking to bet this race, Tawny Port would be the bet. 8-1 8-1 to one on the morning line. If you can get around 6, I would make a win wager on Tawny Port and include that one in the late exotics there. That's Saturday at Saratoga. Let's head on over to Del Mar and talk some Saturday. We're looking at July the 30th, Saturday, and we're going to look at race number 5 at Del Mar. Going a mile and a 16th on the turf course. I'm going to go to the outside with the number 11, Mita Del Mundo. His turf debut 
going long on the turf at Santa Anita was not bad at all in a race that has come back very strong. His second start, he went up to Golden Gate. He tried the synthetic, showed a lot more positional speed that day. He made a big early move, and then he got a bit tired. He was off for a few months. They dropped him in class for a maiden claiming tag for the first time. He was close up. He was in the second flight. He was in between horses. He had to back out of a tight spot. He came on a bit, but he was a little flat late. The winner that day, though, won by five and a half lengths. So he was a little bit better than it may have looked on paper. He's going to go second start off the bench, second time against the claimers here. I think at a big price, throw him into your early exotics. If we can get anything around 10 to 1, I'd make a win wager on that one. We move to a couple stakes races. First, race number 8, which is the grade 1 Bing Crosby. Not one horse in this field has run in a grade 1 race this year. So I think it's a fun betting race, but it's not necessarily grade 1 in quality. So I'm looking at a horse like Bag Boss, and even though he hasn't been facing stakes company, I think he's legit. He has speed, he can sit, he had a good start in his last race, he was about 4th inside, just about 2 lengths behind the leaders, he angled nicely to the outside, 3 deep, a big bit at the top of the lane, he's really handy, he continues to get a little bit better, I think it's a good spot for the number 3 bag boss, who's 8-1 to on the morning line, anything around 5, I'd make a win wager there. In race number seven, it's the San Diego. I'm going to give a look to Tripoli, second start back off the bench. Tripoli is the number seven in there. He's proven at Del Mar. He ran into some trouble in his June 19th start. He was three deep going into the turn, and then he backed up to fifth, about three lengths off. He was in the two path, and then he got squeezed out of a really tight spot. He did show some more late interest after taking up, and now he comes back to the main track, second start off the bench. I think it's a good spot for Tripoli, who's 6-1 to one on the morning line. Anything over 7-2, to two, I think, is a fair price for Tripoli. That's Del Mar for Saturday. Good luck in all of your wagers this weekend at Del Mar and at Saratoga. Let's head on over to Louisiana Downs and talk about Louisiana for Saturday. Saturday, Louisiana. I'm out there each and every day helping out on the broadcast with top selections out there. Let's go through the card for Saturday. Race number one, I'm looking to the six, I love you more. She had a fine start. She was back to fourth in her most recent race. She moved to the inside. She couldn't get through, so she got shuffled back. She angled around. She closed really well late in between horses, making up a lot of ground in the stretch. The four, late night music, looks like the horse to beat on the big drop. The one, Gypsy Soul, she's improving. She can hold some ground from the inside, third start off the bench, and she can uh, she can get a piece in here. Six, four, one. Move into the second race. We have maiden $20,000 claimers. These are two-year-olds. We have two Johnson first-time starters, two Asmussen first-time starters. The Johnson Barn has one with their last three first-time starters, all of them two-year-olds. They have five straight top two finishes with first-time starters. And the Barn overall is seven for their last 13. They have the one and the three in here. The one stop the madness, draws the rail, Three, Southern Blush, has a dam who won the debut and a lone sibling who only had one start. The two horse is the one that's kind of interesting to me to price. The blinkers on for Henry B. Johnson Jr. Very good with second-time starters. 14 for their last 62, 23%, a $3.14 ROI. You have competitive slew dropping in class after at least getting a run around the racetrack back on June the 26th. One 
two. I give the six a look to Mustafa. The dam was a two-time winner. Since the half to Midnight Mikey, who is six for eighteen, earned two hundred ninety-six thousand, was a multiple graded stakes winner. Produced four siblings, all winners, and one of them that won the debut. Mustafa, one two six in race number two. Move into the third race. Maiden, $5,000 claimers, seven furlongs. I like the two Jive and Astro who might be able to get the lead in here. Toss the turf race. She's shown some positional speed in sprint races on the dirt. Now the blinkers come on, and she doesn't catch a whole lot of other speed in here. Three connected, takes the big drop in class. The four, wheels like Nala, has been showing some improvement lately and seems to be a fit at this level. Two, three, four in race number three. Fourth race kicks off the pick four. 15% low takeout on the pick four. I'm going to look to the five in here. That's Aknas. Toss the two races on the slop, and this one looks a whole lot better. Greg Tracy's had a phenomenal meet. We'll be including the number five in all exotics, the one outer banks. If you just put a line through that last effort, you can go back to the February race when they did, when this horse was eased. Now the form looks a little bit better. The two land of the pharaohs comes out of some pretty tough races and wouldn't be a shock in here. The seven is also another one who I think you can make a case for. Tiz McNamara stretching out. Five, one, two, seven in race number four. As we move to race five, seven and a half furlongs on the turf course. Non-winners of two. I like the eight in there. And that's probably a horse I'm going to single. Daddy made me do it. She's going to be likely the favorite in this race. She just feels like she's going to get a great trip. There's a lot of speed in here, and she can show enough tracking speed to stay close, and she can finish. Eight with the five birdie call, the one firing to the front who will show speed from the inside, the four simple pleasure, sort of a wild card for Shane Wilson and a possible pace factor. Let's move to race number six. I thought this was a pretty wide open race. It's a first level allowance going a mile and 70 on the main. The seven alligator crawl is lightly raced with some upside. He was pretty impressive in his first time going along on the main. Now he'll put two starts together. You got the three, Masabi, who looked very good for Shane Wilson. And he can continue to step forward. He beat a next out winner named Traffic Control. The number four, Hardcore Folklore, doesn't win a whole ton recently. But he's super consistent. Back-to-back runner-up efforts at the level going a mile 70. Then towards the outside, you've got Fra Moro first off the claim for Broberg. Who wouldn't shock the eight-tailed twister? Seems like a fit at this level. Seven, three, four, eight, six if you want to go a little deeper. Let's finish up with race number seven. 12-5 non-winners of two going about seven and a half on the turf. I thought the four Watsons Bay... Made a lot of sense in here for trainer Joe Foster. He was close up inside. He had some traffic. He went from third, two lengths off, all the way back to last on the inside. It was really unlucky with the way it was playing out. He had to move all the way to the outside, widest of all. Watson's Bay. Second start off the five-month break. I'm expecting a big effort from him in race seven. The five, obviously two. He's pretty quick. And if you look at the rest of the field, there isn't that much other speed in here. Key off the turf races only. Key off that only turf race. You've got the six, plenty of sense, whose two turf races are both very, very comparable to what would win this race. And then the three, Project Thunder, should be close up, coming off of a very impressive win last time out. 
the entry of the 1 and the 1A. I prefer Western Star, who could be close up. But I like 4, 5, 6 there to close it out. That's Louisiana Downs for Saturday. Let's talk a little bit about full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said. Looking forward to touching base with her next week. We're going to talk more about the market and some local cities and listings and things going on. You can find out all about her on her website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. She can help you with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can give you a market analysis of your home's value. She can connect you to the right type of vendors if you're looking for home improvement. She'll help connect you with lenders if you need help getting pre-approved with a home loan. And even if she's not focused on your area, she can put you in touch with someone in that area that she knows, that she trusts, that can really help you out. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Let's head into start talking some football. AFC West team previews with Eric. We're going to go team by team with Eric here on That's What G Said. First, we start out with the Chiefs. Then we get into the Chargers. Then we dive on into the Broncos and the Raiders. AFC West with Eric. We finish up with the AFC and our NFL team-by-team previews. We're going to dive on into the AFC West. Eric is back, as he has been for the last few weeks. Is uh, funny, kind of funny. We're already halfway through, man. We're kind of flying through this. We're uh, and what every week means that we're a week closer to the NFL season starting. So we are not far away, my friend. I know, and the Hall of Fame game is right around the corner. Yeah, we got training camp now. Aaron Rodgers walking in looking like Con Air dude, Nicolas Cage, you know, people, rumors Cameron are flying. Poe. Cameron Poe, which is a fan, it's a fantastic movie. That's a great movie. Um, rumors flying all around, and we're going to dive on in to the AFC West. So we've got a pretty interesting division because on paper, at least, you, you know, three playoff type teams uh, and the team that didn't make the playoff or that we, we look at. And at least based on like win projections and stuff, they don't look like they'll be a playoff team. They made the playoffs last year. So competitive intrigue. Russell Wilson comes in for Denver. The Chargers beef their team up. The char- uh, the Chiefs are going to look a little bit different. Devontae Adams comes in for the Raiders. So lots of moving pieces in this division, Eric. We have the Chiefs as the favorite to win this division. The Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders, they're in that order. Chiefs are you know, looking at the uh, the odds like from two days ago that I was looking at where like Chiefs were like plus 155, Chargers were like plus 240, Denver's after them, and then the Raiders are the, the fourth. They're the big long shot in the division. You'll probably see things similar to that depending on where you're looking. So let's uh, let's start with Chiefs, and let's uh, let's work our way through the AFC West. What do you have as their win total? Uh- um, Go ahead. I am seeing about ten and a half. Okay. Okay. Um, so you know they they brought in Sky Moore. They brought in from the kid from Western Michigan, uh, George Kafalartis, the, the defensive lineman from um, Purdue, the edge rusher, Trent McDuffel from uh, WashU, the uh, DB. Added Juju Smith, Juster, MVS, Rondell Jones. They lost Tyreek Hill, the Honey Badger, Melvin Ingram. Kadarius and then, you know what? That's going to be in just in Marcus some of the guys Robinson. in just in some of the guys you're mentioning, like on the offensive side. So they have Ronald Jones, MVS, Juju, rookie Sky Moore, 
that's a lot of new faces for a team that, I mean, the last couple of years, it was Kelsey, Tyreek, and then you had their, you know, a lot of their backups, like the Nicole Hardman types who are still around, but they, they would sort of kind of rotate in to get some looks, but you really kind of knew what you were going to get from the top couple. And this is going to be interesting. Mahomes is awesome, but it's it's not always just immediate, especially when you have three or four new pieces, not just one new receiver that you have to get familiar with. Exactly. And before we dive into all this, I want to just ask you my conspiracy theory question. Please do. Last four years, Eric Bieniemy has called the plays um, midway through whenever. Have it be eight, ten games. Uh, Andy Reid has taken it over. Matt Nagy has come back as the senior offensive assistant. Do you see any scenario where the enemy is let go midseason and Nagy is back to being the offensive coordinator? Right. It just it just seems so weird that it's continually happening. And I think Reid would like the enemy to go get a head coaching job for for him. And for himself, right? Reed's fine calling the places. It's not plays, like you said. It's not as if he needs him. It's just, it is. It's strange. I it's could like really see weird. This, it is. I could see this happening, and I, I just don't get a great, incredible, like, gonna win the Super Bowl feel from this chief, this Chiefs team this year. They, the start of their season, weeks one through four, at Arizona, home for the Chargers, at Colts, at Tampa. That could be anything. Yeah, that's kind of a rough little start to the schedule, especially when you're depending on three rookies on in key spots in pretty, pretty key spots. Um, You know, wide receiver, edge rusher and in the back four. And my thing, like the big thing is Sky Moore. Sky Moore going to be the new um, Tyreek Hill. Uh, Just looking at his production. uh. The best three teams he played were Michigan. He had two catches. Pitt, okay, fine. He had 11. And Nevada, who's really not a world beater, he had four. So against better competition, he really didn't do that much. So I'm a little worried about Sky Moore. Um, I do think Juju could be a could be a play this year just because defenses are going to be looking to go to take Kelsey away. We mm-hmm. all saw that Juju, when he's not the main guy, he does well. It's a, it's a good role for him. Like, the number yeah. two is a good spot for him. Um, in years past, they've really not had anyone that could high point the ball when they're inside the five, inside the ten. Uh, that's why, Andy, I feel Reed tends to get a little really gadgety with his play calling. They got MBS, who's a tall guy who can high point a ball. I feel that's kind of a new element to the offense they've never really had there in the Mahomes era, era, excuse me. And um, I saw this stat from Marco, from, um, what's his name? Hardman today. And I, of course, I can't find it right now. But it was like, he was eighth in air yards. It was something, it had something to do with like the deep passes or, or something like that. And it was like, kind of stood out where he was drafted to be Tyree Kill's replacement. And I, at the end of the day, I truly feel he's going to be the guy that replaces Tyree. He's Hill. efficient when he gets the yeah. opportunities. He just yeah. hasn't been someone that's been getting a whole lot of opportunities exactly. to to run those deeper routes because those were usually the Tyreek Hill type of things. And yeah, they the the defensive side of the ball. So 
Jones, you know what you're going to get from him. Frank Clark has been good. Last year they had Melvin Ingram, but they traded for him. You mentioned the rookie they brought in from Purdue. They need help. Kansas City's edge defenders collectively ranked 28th in PFF grade since 2020. Yeah. So the one thing about Ingram is he is a very, 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 very underrated run stopper. mm -hmm. He is legitimately good at stopping the run. And I feel like that's going to be a big blow to the offense. Um, We're talking about their defense with how good their um, offensive line graded out with Humphreys being the top center, Trey Smith being the 20th PFF guard. And it legitimately being a strength. Do you do you, do you see a system where they run the ball a little bit more? Yeah. Compared to years past, I think they're going to have to the defense. You know, yes. their offensive line is good. Offensive it's better. It's a lot good. better. It, yeah, it's, it's a, a big up. It's a, it's like an um, it's an upgrade for sure. It's definitely going to be much better than than they were. It just it shouldn't be an issue for them. Their secondary isn't fantastic. It shouldn't but be losing Ward is a big deal. Like losing yeah. Ward and losing Honey Badger, they also lost Sorson. And I know Sorson was a paint was how can I say this? He didn't cover well, but anytime he was in non-coverage plays, he did fine. So I think that is a um I think that's kind of gonna be a little bit big blow. So it wouldn't surprise me if like they tend to run a little bit more. We saw Kelsey and Hill. When they were both on the field together last year, defenses started playing that too high look with the safeties, and it kind of slowed down the offense. Kelsey's another another step toward 30. I'm a little bit low on Kelsey just a little bit this year. It really wouldn't surprise me if they do run the ball more. And the thing is, is when you just look at their schedule, you start to dive into it. They have the hardest strength of schedule according to opposing win totals. So yeah. if, you just, if you just add up, what teams are supposed to win for win totals. They have the hardest schedule. Week six and seven, they have a Buffalo team that's going to be, even though they get this game at home, Kansas City is going to play a team that Buffalo team that's got them circled and wants to beat them. Then they got to go on the road and play San Fran. Then after the bye, they come home. They get a couple games at home after the bye, Tennessee and Jacksonville. Then they have a tough four-game stretch at the Chargers, then against the Rams. Then they go at the Bengals and at Denver. That's not yeah, easy. That's not easy at all because they're going to be zigzagging all over the place. And travel, especially that part of the season, is a little bit is a little tougher on the body than it is in the um in the earlier in the earlier part of the season. You're, now you're sore, you're tired. It's a little bit harder, right? Than than at the beginning when it's not quite as big of a deal. The but I mean, like you're going to Cincinnati, Ohio in December. That is beat cold. You know, like that's just that's just cold. And like you kind of, I mean, you have to fly to the West Coast, fly back home, fly to the East Coast, fly fly to Denver, fly to Houston, come back home for two weeks. You know what I mean? It's just a lot of, you know, it's really just a lot of zigzagging. And when you just kind of look at it, that really is a little bit hard. Um, I think the the one game I have two games, excuse me, three games circled where I'm going to be looking to take them or fade them. I have to fade them against Buffalo. I have a million rules when it comes to gambling, and this is one game where I'll probably throw them all out and just take Buffalo, whatever the number is, just because I think after what happened and how Buffalo lost, 
Yeah, me too. Has this one circled? Uh, the game week twelve against your Rams. I'm going to take him there because next week, who do they play? They play the Bengals. It's the flip of that after how they lost in the regular season and how they lost in the AFC championship game to the Bengals. They have to have that game utterly circled to get a little bit of revenge. So those are kind of like the three spots I have circled, you know, when they play the Rams before the Bengals and then when they have to play when they play the Bengals and then when they play the Bills. Yeah, this just they just have a feel of a team that's going to look a little bit different this year because you don't have Tyreek. So you're probably not going to be as quick strike of an offense. But now your offensive line is a lot better. I think PFF has them projected to be a top 10 offensive line with maybe just one weak spot. So yeah, their only real weak spot is oh my god, I have it right here. I can't see. Ne- it. Sorry, uh, right Niang. tackle. Right, yeah, right Niang. Tackle. Lucas Niang. Yeah, he allowed five or more pressures in three of his seven full games last year. So, but he then that but that was his first year as a starter, right? So he can yeah. improve a little bit. He can get better, and if he does, then all of a sudden this can this can be a really really good offensive line. So now all of a sudden, if your offensive line is better. That will enable your running game to be a little bit better. And we've never really been big Edwards Alaire fans. So at least bringing in Rojo gives you a nice option between the tackles. And they, I think he's going to be great. I think he's right? going to be like the lead guy. I think it is. Whole, and I maybe they use CEH more. Maybe they use CEH more in some ways that they might have used Tyreek, which we kind of. Thought they might have done with CEH when he was coming out initially because he's a good bat, he's a good receiver, but they haven't been able to get him established there. Maybe they can use him in some of the you know like screens a little bit more, some dump offs and stuff that they were doing with Tyreek, and maybe that's a way to get him involved there. And you have a little more traditional between the the tackles guy with with Rojo. Yeah, I could see that. I, I could see them trying to get a little bit more inventive, but it's just. He's been an utter disappointment. You and I have been on that, that since the draft. That pick He's was just always just way too high. It was just a waste of a pick that that high because you can find – it's not that he's not a talented player, sure, but you can find players just like that, like as free agents all the time. That There's, just, there's a lot of backs that are available like that in the league, and uh, we'll see if they can uh, – yeah, you take advantage of the better offensive line. The middle of their defense, the linebackers are okay. Secondary, eh. Defensive front, that's a key. They could be, you know, if they're not putting pressure on, that's where they could get hurt. So where do you sort of have them overall? I, I see them at like 10 and a half was their total, right? And so I'm, yeah. I just, I'm not, a, you were under, I think, when we talked before on them, right? I have them at 10 and 7. Um, maybe yeah, it's I'm, just the Mahomes bias to me that, this kid is ultra talented. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 10 or 11. But, you know, when you just kind of think about it, okay, is as crazy as it sounds, like, yeah, they lost Kyrie Kill, Burner, you know, but can Hardman, who's really fast, and we need to, like, a lot of people forget there is that game, um, oh, my God, is when they played the Texans in the playoffs. Texans were up, what, 21 nothing, 24 nothing, whatever. Uh, one of the key plays in there was Hill had a punt and he fumbled it. Yep. And the Texans got it. After that, Hardman was the guy returning the punts. No more Tyreek Hill. Maybe Hardman can fill in that role. You bring in Juju, who's going to be in the slot, playing underneath. He's got a big body wide receiver. You know what I mean? Is it one of those things where, like, 
okay, you lost Tyreek Hill as a dynamic playmaker. Mm-hmm. But the but collective – a little bit more versatility to the room. Your offensive like, line is yeah. a little bit better, right? You're, like we yeah. said, you have a better overall backfield now where it feels like you might be able to – Run the ball a little bit better there You have Juju and then if this rookie comes in And gives you anything you Maybe you can get a little bit back Of what you were getting here and there From you know From Tyreek Hill so yeah it's it, I think a lot of it will come down to this Offensive line if they can lean on that And at least give Mahomes some time And they can run the ball better Than than how they've been able to run the ball In years past in some of the, the Last couple years They'll at least be competitive. They'll at least be, like we said, like a 10 win team. I, I just don't, I think they're like a 10 to 12 sort of max. Like, I just, I don't think they're a 15 and 2 kind of team this year. Oh, I agree 100%. I, I don't think there's any way they can win that many. Because, well, the division should be a little bit tougher and they have some new pieces. I could see the end of the year with the way their schedule shakes out. I could see them going on a, like a four game winning streak to end the year. At Houston, home for Seattle, home for Denver, at the Raiders, all of a sudden they could be figuring things out with kind of an easy schedule and they could be peaking heading into the playoffs. You know? Exactly. And one thing to remember, and my boy Sterling said this, is two out of these four teams are going to be a disappointment Mm -hmm. because the level is just, and if you kind of like hypothetically, let's say the Raiders were in the, um, Oh my God, it's a bad division. The uh, NFC East, AFC South, they would probably make the playoffs. So I agree. You know, that's just kind of something like we got to remember when we're looking at this that we're going to be in a situation where these teams are just going to beat the crap out of each other. Everybody can't be a 12 win team. Yeah. So you got to, so with that being said, I do think the play is to kind of lean under in all these win totals Mm -hmm. just because of the pounding these teams are going to take competing against each other, beating each other up. Absolutely. They may be, they may be seasoned come playoff time, right? Make, they may have played uh, whoever, which one of these two, one or two teams are playing well at that point may have be maybe a little bit battle tested then. And that's probably the best way to play them. But I agree. I just, I didn't, I, I think these win totals are all close enough. To where I just didn't get excited for either over or under with any of them all that much. Is uh, anything else you want to hit on the Chiefs? Go ahead. The one thing with the Chiefs, like, you know, and it's something we did with the Eagles last year, is we just got to kind of find that spot of the schedule that's a little soft. After they lose a few. Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, when is that? After week four. You know, after week four, that's the time where, like. Are they maybe. One and you three know, or two get, and two. Yeah, can we get like a plus 200, plus 150 to make the playoffs? Something like that. Then that's when we want to get invested. But, you know, right now, pre-flop, looking at all these odds. You know, for me, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to try to draft Rojo late in drafts, Hardman late in drafts, and just kind of see what happens in my, in my fantasy drafts. But in terms yeah, of... And I don't, I don't mind Juju. I don't want to go get him high. But I don't mind him if, if it feels right. Where you are taking a shot with him He could like you said he could be someone who has a nice Year and in, in good matchups too, in DFS matchups too. So, go ahead Let me ask you this um, So it's a big mystery who's going to be the wide receiver With um, you know kind of Between like the three this, Like Sky Moore is it going to be Hardman Is it going to be Juju When you just kind of sit back and look at all these ADPs of these guys It's possible we can just say F it I'm just going to draft all three 
and see who the guy is. Is that is that a crazy concept to do? No, you know because I mean? like, because they're they're low enough, especially you you could be able to make it out, make out where two of them are worth having in your lineup each week, and you're not going to be. I think because people will probably lean Kelsey and then not sure what to do with the others. It's not a bad idea. You end up dropping the one, you know, middle of the year or weeks in that doesn't look like they're getting the run. You keep the other two or, you know, you make some movement there. But I don't think that's a that's a terrible idea, especially if they all go in your particular draft where you have them slotted or where you think they fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I just I mean, because I always this is the time of year where I start playing around with mock drafts. That's Absolutely. Last night when I was playing around. I was able to get all three, and I was like, Juju Smith in the fourth, Sky Moore in the tenth. No, yeah, Sky Moore in the tenth, Hardman in the twelfth or thirteenth. Absolutely, see something like that like, for you sure. Know what? Like, I have all bases covered, whoever it is, and then the other two I can just kind of let go because there's always going to be those people that kind of, you know, come out of nowhere for the fantasy football drafts. Absolutely, I think that's a that's not a bad strategy at all for the uh, the Chiefs. Let's move along to the Chargers as we got some strength on the defense from the Chargers this year. So their total is like right around 10, right? What we're seeing yep. nine and a half, yeah. 10 up to it's up to 10 now. Cause it was nine and a half and it was juiced pretty high. They bring in Khalil Mack, uh, healthy Khalil Mack still very good. Um, despite missing more than half of the 2021 season, he still ranks third among end edge defenders in PFF's war since 2019. One of the two players ahead of him, Joey Bosa, 22% pass rush win rate since 2016. That's first among qualifiers at the position. Those two could be very, very good up front. And in addition to that, to bringing in Mac, Mac is also not bad against the run, which is something they needed big time, Eric. They were awful last year against the run. Everyone could run against them. And they brought in a couple other pieces that should help them solidify their run defense. So they might not be incredible against the run, but they should go from being like the worst team in the league to like a pretty average team against the run. Um we also, who are some of the uh, the pieces that they brought in? Um, interior was bolstered by Sebastian Joseph Day, Morgan Fox, and Austin Johnson. So, yep, some good, some helped. solid guys to help help them run. Um, I think the biggest thing they did was they got J.C. Jackson, who's going to be alongside Ashanti Samuel now. Yep. Um, they brought in Bryce Callahan, who's going to be the nickelback. You have Derwin James, who's probably the most underrated player in that whole league that nobody can line up anywhere. Yeah, he's all over the place. Um, another guy they brought in, and I know the tight end is not a big part of the offense, but it really they really didn't have anyone last year. They brought in Gerald Everett. Uh, you know, guy was with uh, you know with your Rams with Seattle. He's kind of steady. He's just yeah, he's like nothing fl- flashy, but you know he can block and he can catch. Uh, the thing about Mac is now when you have Mac and Bosa, you can't double team. You know what I mean? Like because if you double team one, that leaves the other one to operate. So ha- ha- them being both out there, you know, keeps the offensive line honest. So I really like that um, offensive line wise. They made they brought in Zion Johnson, which is huge. That you know they keep on bolstering this offensive line, but they made the one of the best hires that nobody is talking about. Brandon Nugent from Seattle, excuse me, from the Saints. Uh, he was with the Saints seven, 2017 to twenty twenty one. 
During that time, they allowed the fourth fewest sacks and averaged 142 yards rushing the ball. Uh, that's pretty big. You know what I mean? That's, that's a good number. Guy's an established coach. And this team is basically turning into New Orleans West during the Breeze hay time. I think this offense is going to be explosive. You got Eckler. Eckler, even though they drafted Spiller, I now feel our Eckler's fantasy football value has increased. Because now you have a true handcuff and you know it's clear. How, it's a clear cut one, yes. two. We weren't really sure what the other guys behind him were always going to be. Now you know it's Eckler. Man, he is be he's one of the more underrated players in all of football, honestly. I think people don't and quite it, realize how good he is between the tackles out of the backfield, also. He is like electrifying. He, Kamara, yeah. and McCaffrey. The three backs that have recorded at least 75 rushing and receiving conversions over the last three years. Yep. And the cool thing he does is if you win your fantasy football league and take a picture game that week, take a picture and like tweet at him. He does a drawing and he gets. Yeah, you did that a couple times last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of fun. Just one of those things like you do, you know, it's a fun thing. He seems like a cool guy. A couple. I'm interested to see what's the next step. Herbert is going to take because it seems like every single year he just keeps on getting better and better and better and better. Interested to see the next step. What what's the next step he takes? Uh, interesting thing I found out about the um, excuse me about the wide receivers. Uh, Mike Williams, seven of his nine TDs were in the fourth quarter. So it kind of seems to me like if he hasn't scored a TD and they need and you know what I mean and they just need something. Big play. Maybe, you know, maybe taking a maybe taking a little sniff at him to get a TD like in the fourth quarter in a tight game. Uh, you know, you you look at Keenan Allen and Keenan Allen, he was only there's only five receivers that had um, more top 24 performances. So that means like top 24 at the position than Keenan than Keenan Allen. So, I mean, this guy is just a dependable producer. Um, Both top you know, 20 in wins yeah. above replacement over the last two years, based on the, the PF PFF metrics. The, they brought in uh, Josh Palmer kind of all, as yeah. a wild card, maybe um, yeah. hoping he could anyone that you bring in there. What's nice is that with those two guys, you're going to get lots of one-on-one or open looks. If you can run your routes. Yeah. yeah. Cause there'll and be back- attention paid to the other, you know, the others. Yeah, and then back to back to Big Mike, um, top ten in win rate last year. That means like you know just basically winning the, winning the route, tied for eighth most week, tied for eighth in terms of most weeks within the top ten in fantasy production. So I mean he had a killer season. I'm just really interested to see like you know what's next. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like what's what's next for this offense? Um, I really like what they're doing. I locked them in at twenty four to one right to win it all. Year. But right now they're ten to one. There's yeah. I I will not bet this team at this number. No, um, you know, and then we just kind of play. Okay, let's find that hiccup in their schedule when maybe we can get. You know what I mean? Maybe we can get some value. And the sad thing is, with how their schedule plays out, I don't know if it's there. <laughs> yeah, no they have a pretty buy. good. The the problem is, is they have a good start on paper, right? They've got home against the Raiders. And this is that's, that's the team that knocked win. you out of the playoffs last year. 
You've got at Kansas City, which you're going to get up for, no doubt about it. And it's a, short week. a short week. That's it's, a it is story. a short week, and it is on the road. But it, but like you're saying, it's it's early in the year. So yeah. it doesn't feel like it's going to hurt you all that much, but still a short week right off the bat. Then you got Jacksonville. Then you go to Houston. You go to Cleveland, home for Denver, home for Seattle. I mean, you could come out of that six and one or five and two. And yeah, totally. Then you're in pretty good shape the rest Because after the bye Maybe there's a, you know, you go at Atlanta At San Francisco, so Two road games to start, then you come home Kansas City, and you've got Arizona And the Raiders on the road So I guess the weeks 9 through 13 After the bye, they play 4 or 5 Games on the road That may be Maybe, maybe you know, there yeah, With maybe, their home game being against Kansas Maybe yeah. that's the spot where you look Yep, and then the, the final 3 of the year I guess Aren't easy when you have two of them on but the road At that point they're going to be locked in You know what I mean at that They'll, point They're total or be, yeah. yeah we'll know who they are At that point we won't be able to get a whole lot of Movement on their number To, to win it all and stuff like that And but, I hate betting MVP futures That's the one prop I hate betting But Herbert 10 to 1 is kind of enticing Absolutely If this team does win 12 Is the top team in the AFC Or the NFL which let's face it They absolutely capable of That that is legitimately going to have wheels that bad. Think, so sort of think about the players that have been in contention for it the last couple of years too, or who, and who are kind of the perennials. You know, Brady's a year older. Aaron Rodgers is a year older. You've got, you know, um, Josh Allen is in the mix. But we've been talking about Mahomes as how you know maybe they run the ball a little bit more, and maybe his numbers aren't quite as gaudy because he doesn't have a, a Tyreek Hill to get two hundred yard rushing games all the time. So maybe they look a little bit different. He's not a bad swing. He's really not. Is in like you said, he's not a bad swing at all. And then like something, I connect the dots and think crazy. And Gino's known me for a while. He'll be the first one to say I see some crazy ass stuff. Um, something that happened earlier in the week. Joe Burrow had an what is it called an appendicitis. Yeah. Now historically speaking, you look at pitchers after they've had one of those. Their velocity isn't the same. Oh yeah. So I mean, like, but I mean, like that could hurt Burrow. That could mm-hmm. be another thing that opens up for Herbert. So I don't know. I think Herbert ten to one to win MVP. It's a good definitely price. Definitely has some legs. If you missed out on the Chargers' future, their offensive line should be pretty solid too. There's one spot. They're still kind of the right tackle. The maybe Trey Pipkins. He got a lot better towards the end of the year. He had some bad starts throughout his first couple years. They said it only allowed three pressures over 76 pass blocking snaps in his two starts toward the end of uh, the year. So um, maybe he could be a nice fill in for uh, an offensive line that's projected to be in you know, the top half of the league and possibly even into the top third if things were to yeah. go right. For and them. bringing in Nugent is going to be huge for that offensive line. They just they don't have a whole lot of weaknesses, honestly. Right. They're one of the more well-balanced team like offensively. They have a good quarterback, a good running back, good receivers. They are, their offensive line is solid. Then on the defensive side, they made they we talked about the changes they have on the defensive front. They have two of the best edge uh, in the league, and their secondary is really good. And they can move around. Maybe they have some weaknesses at at linebacker, but when you have someone like Derwin James who's so versatile, he kind of helps fill in for a weakness here or there in in spots like that because he can line up all over. They're they're a deep team. It'll, I think, you know, could they be a team that I have them around 11 and six? That's where I am. Um, am I concerned with Staley a little bit? 
yeah. a little bit, but me too. A little. If, if I kind of like him if though. He's as smart as everyone says he is. He should learn from his mistakes he made last year. And let's face it, like at the end of the season, Los Angeles was playing for the playing for the tie. He got a little too greedy with the timeouts, played to win the game. Good for him, whatever, bit him in the butt. A couple times he went for it where he shouldn't. I liked at the beginning of the year where he was just being aggressive and trusting his players in logical situations. Um, And he had a process. He was always a go-for-it guy, right? And if you know that consistently you're going to do that, then I'm fine with that. And I, I think he's smart, and I think he's sharp, and with the right group now, it feels like this is a this is a big year for them. I I, yeah. I don't I wouldn't want to go goo goo on their over on their win totals because like we we're saying it's still not going to be an easy division. Hell, like if you lose a game to the Raiders, it's not going to be the craziest thing in the world if Devontae Adams and Waller go nuts, right? Yeah. Like that's that's a that's possible. But this is a team where if the number is right, I do think they are one of the better football teams in the league. And I, I would I like the number that you got last year and. If we can find a spot after maybe they get an early injury and then they come back for whatever reason, if we can get inflated number. I like this team the most in the division of any team to win it all. Yeah, I, I love this team. But it comes back, my boy Sterling made another point. Are we at the point where this is just the team that just disappoints us year after year after year? I know. They might be. You know what I mean? Like, they, they could be that, so. I'll give, I'll give them enough of, like, at least one more look with – with Staley because he's new enough to where it's not like it's been the same coach for the last 10 years, you know, to where it's like, oh man, it's just this, they've got this vibe where it's the same exact thing over and over. And Herbert's still young enough and they have enough, they, you know, they brought in like Mac and they have maybe enough new pieces this year to where it doesn't feel it's just like a retread. So maybe, yep. but you're right. Damn. Like overall, they are, they've become a really disappointing franchise. And it's a big year for them in LA too. If they're good in a year or two, it'll catch on and they'll get, they'll get a fan base out here. If they're disappointing again, well, people aren't going to show up for them and their games are going to be like how they always are, where the opposing team gets cheered. Like it's a home game for them. Now, like for those of you listening, you and I, uh, Kyle and um, Leo did a West preview and you said something like you made up, you you said that point, if they win, they would, the, the fans will come. And I was thinking, like, you know how I work. Like, I'll think about random stuff at weird times. So when I was hating my life this morning doing my Peloton workout, my thought to that was, do you think the Rams are always going to own the city because they were there, left, and came back? Yes. The Rams will have more of a fan base always for sure. But I do think with the Chargers in in – a new-ish, even though it's the Rams stadium, the Chargers are still getting going to get an opportunity to be around in like a new vibe with the new energy. And they can be like a 1B. I think they can really get support. Like there's enough out here for them. The They just got to win. Like they, cause yeah. what, the Rams had fans out here that were, you know, people that still rooted for the Rams or that were excited when the Rams came back. And ever since the Rams have been out here, they've been good. You know, they've been a good, they've been a good team. And now they've won a Super Bowl. So you're going to build more fans. You're going to build younger fans. You're going to have kids now. That's the key, right? Kids watching 
the LA Chargers that are going to go get a Herbert jersey and that are going to want to ask for one of those and that they're fans of him. And if he's a stud and he becomes an MVP, then all of a sudden next year, now you've got people that are all, you know, Charger fans, but you got to win. If you don't, there's too much going on in LA. There's too many other good teams. You got Dodger fans, you got Laker fans, you got Rams fans, you got Trojan fans. They're going to be good again. If you don't, if you don't do it in the next year or two, you, people are just going to forget about you. It has to happen soon for them. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Um, any, uh, anything else? Chargers? Uh, no, that is it. Let's, uh, let's talk Broncos as we move along to Denver. Their win total is like nine and a half-ish. Ten. I'm seeing. I got, I got ten. Up to ten now because, yeah, like nine and a half was like really high juice. So it's up to ten. Broncos, of course, bring in Russell Wilson. And they're a team that, when we were talking yesterday, I uh, I agree with a lot of some of your thoughts about them. They're a very buzzy team because of bringing in Russell Wilson. And they don't have a very difficult start to the season. Post-buy, things get really difficult for them. It's sort of like a tale of two complete seasons. So you got Russell Wilson. You got the backfield now again with Melvin Gordon coming back. Javante Williams, who was so, so good. And... A group of wide receivers who are talented Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick Someone's got to kind of jump up and be a number one It's like a group of number twos or high level number three receivers They're good, all of them together But someone's got to be the guy Albert O will be the tight end now And let's talk uh, Let's talk Broncos So my first thing is this Um I've said Rick Dennison's name probably more than any person in the history of breaking down football. Um, everyone talks about how easy it is. I can call plays. I can do this. I can do that. Not, neither one of these guys, Hackett or Otten, the offensive coordinator, called plays, designed plays. Flashback to November 6, 2013, Kubiak has his heart attack on the sidelines. Dennison has to call plays. Dennis has never called plays before during a game. Complete night where Texans give away the game. Colts come back and win it um, after being up 21 to 23. So that's a really legit big worry for me is we've ne- these guys have never called plays for before. Right now, Matt LaFleur is doing a lights out job in Green Bay, coaching, calling plays, doing the whole yards. Before he got there, that first year in Tennessee where he had never called plays before in his life was an absolute train wreck. That offense was just awful. And I really think that everyone's just seeing what what Stafford did with the with the Rams last year and is just putting two together and say Wilson's going to do the same thing. And I get it. You know, they have weapons on the outside. They have Javante Williams. But we kind of got to give McVay a little bit of credit. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't like, even though McVay is really young, he's an experienced coach with a proven track record who had a history of calling plays. None of these guys, excuse my language, have done shit. You know what I mean? They haven't been the guy. They haven't been the guy controlling the room. They haven't called plays before. So I'm a little bit worried on that aspect. Um, you know, the Broncos faced the, faced the fifth, fifth most um, stacked boxes last year. Obviously, Wilson's going to take care of that. Maybe Wilson can help these guys with their deficiencies in calling plays and designing plays. How good do you think he? Season, how good do you think he is? How much do you think he's got left in the tank? Russ? I don't. I think he's done. I mean, like, so in, there's been, it, I, in done. Would you, in thing, done? 
Is it going to be better than the level of quarterback play that the Broncos have been getting the last couple of years? Or do you think he's someone who we're going to find out halfway through this year, like this wasn't anything that's going to really upgrade them all that much? Is he still going to help them a little bit? I don't think, and, I think it's going to upgrade them maybe one or two wins. Their okay. defense was phenomenal last year. Um, their offense, they only had like nine, turn, they were like ninth in turnovers. They weren't turning over the ball. Their issue last year was their play calling was absolutely putrid and now but but they had someone in Shermer that had called plays before now like i said now you're bringing in people that have never done that before could be worse than putrid plays yeah so like you don't know what's gonna there's a lot of questions and the longer the season goes on the more people know they don't have they've never designed plays before there's a lot of entries to the game that these guys have just never ever 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 done before and the thing, just because like Russell steps Wilson along there, the way, yeah, Russell Wilson is there, and I think it's going to work. Is just just blows my mind. Also, and and you know what? And well, maybe it maybe it does, but it's hard to count on that, right? Mm-hmm. With like sometimes there are people that come out and they're great, and it works, and Russ is great, and he'll be able to call some audibles or look at things that aren't going to work and let him know. But if you're not proven, it's hard to count on that. And immediately vault this team into Super Bowl contention. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think they're quite there. Um, I think they're like a wild card team. Yeah, they're. I, I could see them not making a playoff. Me too, because the division is tough, right? They could be an, a ten and seven, nine and eight kind of team with in a, in a tough AFC in a tough division where you're maybe the third team in that division. Well, I mean, just kind of let's just kind of think of it out loud. So there's seven playoff teams, right? Four of them are division. That means there's three of them left. So you have the Patriots and Dolphins buying out of the East. You have the um, out of the um, the North. You have the Ravens, um, Bengals, or Browns. So you have, you know that's two more teams. So that's four. Yep. Um, the South, we'll say it will respect the Titans. And we'll okay, say maybe five. one with the Colts, maybe. Yeah, one more, you know, well, no, one more. Like one of them will. One, one of them wins the division. Will, yeah, yeah so and one is the wild so card. Five. Yep. So that's five. And then you have two to three in here. So you have eight teams, you know, like there's going to be like, it's going to probably come down to point differential. You know what I Absolutely. mean? So I don't know. Like I could see them easily missing it. Uh, I am worried about their offensive line. Their offensive line was the most improved offensive line in the whole NFL. They jumped up. 10 spots in PFF stuff. And can now they the take another jump? But my, you know, my worry is this though. You have a young offensive line coming up and now they're back to square one because Butch Berry's coming in and he's changing everything. They're changing schemes. So that's a big worry for me too, just because I know it doesn't seem, excuse me, a lot, but there's a big difference between running in a power scheme versus running in a zone scheme and where guys go and how they block. Because if it's a power, I just have to do, like, you're in front of me, I just have to block you, okay? But if it's a zone, I may be lined up at the guard, and you're, like, four yards. That's my zone. I have to bust my ass and get over there and get in front of you. So it's a completely different fitness level. There's so much stuff. And that's why, like, when you make these switches – it's really, really hard sometimes for these offensive line, especially if they're young and inexperienced. And they just went through which, learning an entire yeah. new scheme, a new playbook, a new everything. And now year two or year three, it's brand new everything again. All new terminology, all new stuff. Exactly. And then on the defensive line, I get it. You know, Randy Gregory, hell of a um, 
pass rusher, hell of a edge rusher, but they lost Shelby Harris. Shelby Harris is phenomenal against the run. I think that's going to be a pretty big loss on the interior of that offensive line. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just not as high. I think they're kind of like the trendy team. And I don't think, I'll be honest, if that guy from San Francisco catches the ball and I cash my 49ers 20 to one <laughs> ticket to come out of the NFC, I'll be honest. I don't think they're, I don't think the Broncos make this trade because it's a copycat league and they're just copying the Rams. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it happens. Russell Wilson will get in a nice start. So as I was saying before, it kind of looks like a tale of two schedules before the bye at Seattle, which will be a game that he's all pumped up for. Obviously that's Monday night football in week one. So we get Russ heading back to Seattle, then home versus Houston home versus San Francisco at the Raiders home versus the Colts at the chargers home versus the jets. And then in, uh, in London against the the Jags, so weeks one through eight, and they could be six and two. Yeah, I mean their season like starts out phenomenal. I mean, just looking at you got the Russ revenge game, like you said. I think Houston, like you missed it when we did it for BTV. Um, Houston's going to be a little bit better, a little feistier. You know, you like Houston yeah, winning week gonna, one. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be a little tougher. Defense is going to be much improved, and with the way with Pep Hamilton calling the plays. They're going to limit your possessions. You know what I mean? They're not going to, you know, you know what I'm saying? They're not going to, mm-hmm. how can I say this? It's just basically they shouldn't they're, get they're crushed in games. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be playing keep away because they're just going to run the ball, limit your possessions. Uh, they play the 49ers who lost basically everyone except for Trent Williams and offensive line at the Raiders. who I don't, not really that high on getting the Colts on a short week. I mean, they could legitimately start off. Five and zero, oh, then have yep. a mini buy going to play the Chargers. Yep, on a That's big a Monday game. night football game, that yep. would be a huge game in Week Six. And then all of a sudden, you win that game. I mean, they could be we said seven and one, but then yep. after the buy, you go back from London. You have a buy. You go at Tennessee, which is not going to be easy. Then you've got a divisional game with the Raiders and at Carolina at Baltimore. So three out of four games. After the buy, you're on the road. I'll be the first to say, Carolina's defense is legit. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they're defense, They can just get average quarterback play. Yeah, is legit. They And playing there, playing at an early start with Baltimore on deck, that could be a little bit tough. Um, and then you play Kansas City, that's tough. Arizona, you know, we really don't know what we're going to get from Arizona. Um, is being required to study four hours a week and improve Kyle Murray. Um, but a brutal three stretch, three game stretch to end the seasons with the yeah. Rams. They could lose all three of those. So it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I have them. Um, I have them at nine and eight. Um, yep. I, I got just, nine to I ten. You know, I just I I got it at a ten. I got it at plus money at ten. So I don't know. I feel like I'm feeding the public. I feel that with the history of people coming in and how they perform with never calling plays, that's working in my favor too. Yep, I think that stretch to start is nice for them, but it is going to be scary towards the end of the year if they are not there. You know, if they're if they've struggled a little bit, come week thirteen, you go at Baltimore, Kansas City, Arizona, at the Rams, at Kansas City versus the Chargers. You got to play Kansas City twice 
to end the year And maybe at that time Kansas City has kind of figured things out A little bit too Maybe you know like we yeah. said A couple new pieces Maybe they're, they're running the ball a little bit more Maybe their offense looks a little bit different However it is Yeah I, I don't I think they'll be fine Nine to ten wins I just don't think they're going to be a Another team that's you know 12 plus or 14 win team Maybe Maybe we'll be proven wrong But it seems like we're both a little cold On the Broncos this year Anything else before we move to the Raiders? Uh, Javante Williams is going to be a top 10 back God, he's a stud I got I, him He's a stud in the, So uh, where, where is he going? Like second second round? He's going back into the first Back um, into first I was thinking if maybe it, Maybe some places with Gordon around Would let him drop a little bit more But he's still And that's my only worry Is do we think we're going to get A legitimate established Or is Gordon going to be there still You know taking away a little thing. bit I, I talked about zone running backs And like multi-zone power zone um, With the blocking scheme And the running scheme that they're switching to The one time Gordon ran into it Ran with it in the Chargers He struggled mightily mighty. So that's one thing uh, He is a year closer to 30 Just in my rankings right now um, Which are actually going to come out In my podcast that comes out on Friday uh, I have Javante Williams at 5 on my running yeah. back rankings. So I really like him a lot. I did a, uh, I was, like I said, I always try to play around and do these mock drafts just to kind of get a feel. Um, and I got Javante at the end of the first round. I went Javante and Debo back to back on a 12 team uh, mock draft. So yeah, I, uh, I think Javante is in line for a huge season and just to have, they, he faced the fit, the Broncos, excuse me, faced the fifth most stacked boxes last year. You're putting, um, Wilson back there, he's going to be able to audible that. So it's going to open up more running lanes for uh, for Javante. Let's move to the Raiders. We finish up the AFC West and we finish up the AFC with the Las Vegas Raiders. So if you're just joining us, if you're listening to this and and you missed it on the last few episodes of That's What G Said, we've had full division previews for all the other AFC divisions. So we started with the AFC East. We talked all about the Bills, the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the Jets. And we moved on over and talked uh, AFC North. Then we got into the AFC South. And now we finish up here with the the final team in the AFC with the Raiders. So their win total is around eight and a half, I'm seeing. They, uh, They kind of on the flip side of Denver... They don't look like they have the easiest start to the schedule. We'll dive back into the schedule towards the end. Let's talk about some of the uh, the roster and some of the differences with this Raiders team this year. They bring in Devontae Adams. So Devontae Adams, obviously one of the top wide receivers in the league. They're going to be able to pair him with Darren Waller, who's one of the best tight ends in the league. And you've got Hunter Renfro, who has become a very good possession receiver. Offensively, the receiving core and their pass catchers are very, very good. On the flip side, their offensive line is not very good. They're projected to have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. On the defensive side of the ball, on the defensive front, the edges are pretty good. In the middle of their defense, with the interior defense and the linebackers, they're not fantastic. They're secondary. Eh. I'm, I'm just a bit worried at how many teams I look at and think overall that they just they have better rosters than I could see them winning in some spots in games where their offense is really humming. But if that offensive line is bad, if the secondary is bad and the middle of the defense isn't great, I just don't know how much they're going to be able to hang their hat on here. 
Um, yeah, and just if you just look back at it, you know, I've I don't know, I've really gone high on this Ethereum win total. As yeah, I've mentioned a couple times, and it basically is just basically just sees if a team overachieved or underachieved last year. Raiders were the second most overachieving year. Their actual wins were 10. Their figure win total was 7.34. They just won a lot of games they shouldn't have won. Um, you know, they added Adams, Chandler Jones, Rock, Rocky Sim. I think those are Adams and Jones. I have my question because they are at the age where, deteriorate, where their age tends to deteriorate their skill at their position. So I'm a little bit worried about that. Father time is undefeated. Rock Sim, I think, is a good cornerback. I think he's going to fit in there. They did lose Njoku, Casey Hayward. Um, and the guy that kind of, like, I, I get it. You know, you have Adams, you have Runthrow, you have Waller. But if you don't have that guy that can kind of stretch the field, it kind of hurts the offense. Yep. And I feel lo- losing Zay Jones, who filled in nicely as a field stretcher after Ruggs, unfortunately, took that person's life. Um, I thought that, I think losing him is going to kind of be a little hurtful for the offense it's, it's sort of like um like a good three-point shooter on your team right yeah, you someone that may like not stretch exactly know? it's someone that may not be a guy that scores 20 points a game but maybe they score eight or nine points a game but they shoot a good percentage and they force people to defend them long right they and it's the same sort of thing it may be a little bit too compact down there and if if Devonte is trying to go long and they're not they don't have enough time to go along with him. Now all of a sudden you've got Darren, Devontae, and Renfro kind of all down in a compact space where there's not a whole lot of space. I it may work great. They may have games offensively where it's where it's fantastic, but if they run into a good defensive front or teams that have strong defensive lines, they may be in some trouble trying to buy time for these receivers to get the ball. Exactly. And their best offensive lineman, Denzel Goods, coming off an ACL injury. God only knows what's going to happen to them. Previous regime really messed off on a lot of draft picks, I feel. So, I don't know. I'm just... This is when it starts to hurt you, right? Two and three years later when those draft picks are supposed to be really big parts that are contributing now. Think about, you know, we don't have to sugarcoat it. They've had guys that were incredible behavioral issues. It being charged for murder a car accidents, driving under the influence, DUIs, not showing up to meetings, like from the lowest to the highest of just behavioral issues all over the place. And so you end up wasting a lot of picks for guys who aren't contributing to your team right now that were high level picks over the last couple of years. And all, like you said, all that's going to add up. I really not a big Josh McDaniels guy. Um, I think he's not really, I think there's certain coaches that, He's got a slimy. He's got a weird yeah. feel to him. I don't know him at all. Maybe he's gonna prove me wrong. He just got well, has this like, us, like he's like a politician. Like, yeah. It just you know, and the whole thing that happened with the Colts there and then leaving. I don't know. I'm just not a big big uh Joshy McDaniels guy. I think that And you pointed out that his whole with... Belichick's whole tree hasn't been very successful or all that great. Yeah. Yeah, there's never really been Flores has been the most successful guy and you know, he got let go because he couldn't work with people and the, or like the other the race allegations, but we won't get into that. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that is going on and I just don't, it's, if the Raiders would have kept who coached them last year, I would like them more than I like them now. Another big thing is all I'm hearing about is Devontae Adams um, played college with Derek Carr. It's great. That was nine years ago. 
yeah. you know, you have you have nine years playing with one guy, and now you're used to this one guy. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, just going to be different. Absolutely, it's gonna be, it's it's just going to be absolutely different. There's a lot of stuff I don't like. The defense back four is a nightmare. At the end of the day, they have the what? The fourth worst quarterback in the league. No knock on Derek Carr. Or in the division, right? They're, they're the fourth in, in, best in, quarterback in the division. In yeah. the division. So no no knock on Carr. No knock on Carr whatsoever. But if you just kind of sit back and say, hey, do I want Mahomes or Carr? Mahomes. Do I want Wilson or Carr? Wilson. Do I want Herbert or Carr? Herbert. It's just the way it is. And Compare quarterback-driven all... lead is just a little hard. Um, I think I think Josh Jacobs, I think he's got legs, though, in fantasy football this year. I really, really do. The one thing that's kind of Belichick does, and I think McDaniel is going to be the Brendan same Brendan Jacobs? Way. You meant Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, yeah. I was you were saying Brendan Jacobs or it's a different oh, oh, oh. we think we yeah, had a confused we had some confusion yeah. on uh, on our BTV show the other day. Yeah. There was some yeah. there was something. Josh Jacobs. Yeah. My <laughs> okay. Josh Jacobs. Yeah. No, I, you, you were right. You were right. Yeah. I was just I'm just I, oh I have him um I have him seventeenth in my rankings. I think he's in a great position, twenty four year old playing for his big payday and with McDaniels learning from Belichick history of running running backs in their last year into the ground and Jacobs playing for that contract. I think he's a sneaky guy you can get with his ADP. You can probably get him in the third round. Um, so I think that's I think that has legs. Uh, their defense is really bad. So in terms of fantasy, they're going to be in a lot of little shootouts. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be fun value. DFS. Yeah, I think there's definitely value, but with not having Zay Jones there to stretch the field, is um, you know what I mean? Is that going to hurt Hunter Renfro? And Waller's underneath stuff, so it, there's there's just a lot of little questions, a lot of little worrisome points. And you're gonna have to spend pretty high draft capital on all of those guys on Adams or Waller, and we don't really know how it's gonna shake out. Like, what's the distribution gonna look like? Just like you were saying, in a, in other sense, like not everybody can get everything here. Someone's gonna have to take a back seat a little bit. Is it gonna be? Every week it's a different one Or is it going to be a significant One, two, three sort of Hey, this guy's the number one This is the number two And then Renfro gets whatever's left over I'm not positive, you know And I don't want to draft I don't want to draft someone really, really high Unless I'm, I feel pretty good or pretty safe About what their roles are going to be Yeah, and then, you know The one thing is Is, you know, just looking at I I always look at abandoned targets. That's kind of like my thing to look at when looking at fantasy. That's people that were there that aren't there anymore. There's 234 overall, 189 targets abandoned. So I really don't think like, you know, obviously those are going to go to uh, Adams, but uh, I don't think, you know what I mean? I don't think Adams being there is going to cut in to everyone else's production as much Mm -hmm. as some people are. um, Okay. You know, some people are, are are predicting just because you know there was a lot. There's still there. a lot to yeah. fill. Yeah, there's still a lot to fill. I mean, you know, just kind of and on the opposite, it's not like he's going to a situation like like the Lions. The Lions have 37 abandoned targets from last year. You know, I got everybody so coming goes, back. Yeah. So if or or someone like the Bengals, 72 abandoned targets. You know, that right there, that means that it's going to cut into other people's production. But when you have a team like the excuse me, the Raiders that are losing 234 targets, you know, it's not going to cut into everyone's production as, as people think. The schedule for the Raiders 
brutal. They could go. They could go zero and five to start. I have them starting like one and four. I have them winning one game. And I don't. I kind of tell you like I'm not exactly sure, but maybe it's the home versus Arizona or the home versus Denver. But they've got three tough road games too. You go at the Chargers to start. You've got at Tennessee and at Kansas City all in your first five weeks. Your home games are an Arizona team, and we don't really know what we're going to get, and a Denver team that should at least be competent, above average team. I, and that could be rough for them. Yep. You're one and, and four got, now, new regime. And then, Houston, and then you got Houston coming off the bye, young, hungry team, coach that has proven he's won with less talent. Following that, else. you got four out of five on the road after yeah, Houston. It's just, it's just a brutal schedule. So, like, when you just kind of sit back and look at it, I mean, this is kind of why I bet the under is just because, absolutely, you know, they're due for regression. They overachieved last year, and their schedule just sucks. I mean. I think they're a six or seven just, win team. Oh, by far. I think I have them going six and five 11. And 12. Yeah. I have them going five and 12, six and 11. Yep. But even if you just look at the back end of their schedule from week 13 on, Char- where's the wins? Chargers, Rams, Pats. Okay, fine. Pittsburgh. And, but even like we said, you, you may, I mean? maybe, like, maybe the Pats at home isn't that tough of a game, or maybe at Pittsburgh on paper isn't that tough. You're still going on the road to play Pittsburgh on December, yeah. like on a Sun on a Saturday night game on Christmas Eve. That's a national TV game. You know, it's going to be on NFL Network. Like, Standalone game That's not going to be an easy spot You've got closing out with the 49ers And the Chiefs I, Like I said man I, I thought 6-7 but now the more even talking through it It's like it looks more like 5-6 to me I just yeah, there aren't those brutal. patches Where you say they're going to win Three in a row here Yeah it's just a brutal stretch and there's no You know they don't have that that like Minnesota Vikings Bears back to back You know what I mean no. they just don't have those like back-to-back games that like can kind of help a team out that that is a little young and not really young but just a little undermanned at, at the defense and the offensive line yeah I agree they could be a rough year for the Raiders in a tough division they're gonna have right off the bat you know the six games they have in the division are all gonna be tough I mean they yep. could go 0 six in the division they could easily go 0 six in the division. if they I lost think. both games to Denver both games of the Chargers both games of the Chiefs it wouldn't be surprising it just seems like if McDaniels fails here, I don't think he gets another job. Me neither. I, I'm with you. I don't. I don't like him. I don't like his vibe or the energy or just some of the way so the why, way he comes he, off. Why does he? Why does he take the job? You know what I mean? Like it was weird. I know it was kind of kind of like the same thing with Kenny Atkinson in the NFL. I know it's two different sports, but why are you going to take a job? You know what I mean? Where in a less than desirable position? Now I wouldn't say less than desirable, but. You know what I mean? Where stuff can go off the hinges and it could fall apart because you have weaknesses in the team. I don't know. It just doesn't make much sense to me. Me neither. Me neither. That's the AFC West. So we are halfway home. The AFC is in the books. What's coming up for you uh, this weekend on uh, on your show and uh, some of the stuff that we can expect from you? Well, I'm, I'm taking a page out of your book. I do. I have a Mondo podcast coming out where. Awesome. Me and my boy Sterling, we talked every team of the AFC for an hour and a half. Hell yeah. Um, me and my boy Scotty, we break down the fantasy football running back position, give our top 10. We each give three players who are avoiding and three players we're targeting. Um, 
Jim's going to talk CFL. Brandon's going to talk NASCAR. And then a new segment by my boy David, sharp baseball guy, one of the sharpest baseball guys I've come upon. We're going to do, like, our MLB bets. So we he gives out three for Friday. I give out one for Friday. So, and I never, I don't bet baseball that much, but I've been doing pretty well on it this, for the second half of the season. I usually bet at the first, first half. Um, then Jim and I have our college football playoff, college football playoff, college football big 12 preview coming, no, Pac 12 preview coming out Tuesday. Nice. I'll be on, I'll be on the dresses and solid pretzels live stream Tuesday night. My show comes out Tuesday. My boy, um, Jamar is going to be on there. We're going to be breaking down the NFC East. Um, and then, yeah, and then back with you starting up again next week. We'll hit the NFC starting next week. Make sure to check out all of uh, the great work that Eric does. You've heard him on this show. Anything that Eric talks about, it's always as in-depth. It's always as well-prepared as when you hear him on here. Uh, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, we're halfway home, and, yeah, we're just about five weeks away from the start of the NFL season. Oh, my God, I can't wait. Like, I'm Love it. Right. I'm getting Love it. Right now. Love it right now. So, so we'll, it's uh, crazy. It's cr- like when you think about it, when we're recording next week, the Raiders and the Jags are going to be playing. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. we will be like a month basically from that opening Thursday night, which is September the 8th, I believe, for the uh, the opening night game. So, oh, looking forward to it. We're getting uh, on the road to the NFL. So we'll finish up uh, with the NFC. We'll do team by team and division by division previews. And then right before, maybe we'll do kind of like an overall fantasy look. Too, where we can kind of dive in and, uh, and talk some fantasy when, uh, when everyone starts doing their drafts about a week or two out. So, Eric, buddy, thank you so much, my friend. You have a great weekend. Good luck with all your plays. Good luck with everything you got going on. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Do not go anywhere, folks. We'll continue on on this episode. That's what G said. Big thank you to Eric for helping us out there with our uh, NFL previews. We'll jump into NFC starting next week. We jump into wrestling with Chad Cooper. SummerSlam coming up on Saturday. Ric Flair's last match on Sunday. We hit in. Uh, we hit up everything going on in the world of NXT and AEW. It's this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. I'm trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is. Your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's one of the biggest weeks in the history of pro wrestling. There's no hyperbole. We have a lot to talk about on this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, but we do have SummerSlam. Coming up in a few days So I asked Chad for a little extra homework This week Koopaloop, my man SummerSlam coming up Give me, before we get into this here SummerSlam, we'll talk about everything going on We'll hit a little AEW and NXT at the end also Talk some McMahon But give me your favorite Or a couple favorite SummerSlam matches What are some of the matches that you remember Or you think about when you think SummerSlam you know, that's a uh, it, it's interesting because <clears throat> SummerSlam goes back to, you know, I graduated high school in 93 and SummerSlam was something that started in the late 90s. And I know it's cheesy, but I go back to the first one, the Mega Powers versus yeah. the Mega Bucks. You know, that absolutely. Match, 
it was a tag team match and it didn't need to have any titles tied to it. You have Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan versus Ted DiBiase with Andre the Giant. You had Virgil at ringside. You had Bobby Heenan at ringside. With yep. The, uh, with the uh, Mega Bucks. You had Miss Elizabeth. Uh, and uh, you had Jesse the Body Ventura was the special guest referee. And uh, that was the match that uh, Miss Elizabeth had her skirt torn off. Showed a little skin. Showed yes. A little skin. And then mm-hmm. Ventura, Jesse Ventura didn't want to count to three because he had basically turned heel. Um, and, and, yep. Savage, and Savage forced him to. He stopped to three. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I the the DB uh, the DB I can the look on his face when Elizabeth pulled the skirt off and was and she showed the her legs and he was just shaking his head and just like what is going on and I can just see it I can picture it right now. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. And that you know was, what? There there was a lot of gimmick matches. I remember uh, we had a lion's den match. Yeah, uh, yeah. You had you had Shamrock and Owen. You know, you even had a in one of these years you had the WCW Championship. You had the Rock and Booker T. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another one that I remember. It's not one of my favorites, but uh, it's like the second or third one. You had a lover or lever match with Test and Shane. Oh, where if, yes. if Shane won, Tess had to stop dating Stephanie. And if, yes. if Tess won, you know, he kept her. And, of course, Tess won. Um, you know, so, you know, interesting. Good. And you know what? There was another interesting one. Of course, you know, everybody talks about HBK and Razor Ramon, that ladder match they had at WrestleMania. Well, you know, they had another one. It was, Yeah, you know, 95. Yeah, circled around. And, of course, it wasn't as great as the first one. But it was, it was a little different, though, and it was pretty good because they were both baby faces at the time, right? It, it was. It was. So, and, you know, there's some ones over the last couple of years. Cena Rollins in 15 was good. Seth Brock from a couple of years ago. Yeah, that but, Cena, um, Daniel Bryan. It's, it, well, yeah, for the world title was very good. But you know what? One of the ones that sticks out to me, there's a couple other than the first one. 2002, you had an unsanctioned match with... Uh, Triple H versus Shawn Michaels And if I'm not mistaking, mistaken That was the first match That Shawn Michaels in three or four years He had come back uh, And it was a hell of yep. a match Yeah, the uh, one with, uh, was it 2002? 2002, I think. yep yeah. And then late 90s This might have been the se- second or third uh, SummerSlam It wasn't the main event I think the main event was Undertaker In Austin, I believe In 98 But the the semi-main event was Triple H and The Rock for the Intercontinental Championship, and it was a ladder match, and it was yeah. pretty damn good. It, it was, was good. Like it was the The Rock was still with the Nation of Domination, but you could tell that that The Rock was on his way to superstardom. And if I'm not mistaken, I think within four or five months after yeah. that match for the Intercontinental title, he won the world title. It was it was 98 in the, 98. the tournament, the deadliest game tournament at the end. Remember, they had the big heel turn. They had the tournament for the world title at the end of 98. The Rock, it, it was like Rock and Austin were the baby faces. Everybody wanted them. And then at the end, they had the big heel turn where... Uh, the Rock ends up winning the title and going with McMahon, and then he's the champ going on early on. I think in the '99, he does all the stuff with Foley. He yeah. turned on because yeah. we all thought like Foley like, McMahon was pulling the, pulling the wool over Foley's eyes. 
Hey, we got the, like the the double turn there. It was at uh, Survivor Series, I think, right? So that was, and that's only a year yeah. after. Uh, that was like a year after the screw job. Um, we got, you know, ninety two. We're in uh, Wembley. You know, yeah. Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog for the oh, IC that title. Was a good way. Oh, in, a, that was a good in the main way. event, and you know, that's a really cool, different type of SummerSlam that we had that year. And then you got the year after. Remember when Lex Luger. Turns babyface. They got him on the Lex Express. He slams Yokozuna on the ship. What is oh, it? The U.S. Yeah. is intrepid. Oh, and then they have him against Yoko in the main event. And they have him win by DQ. And he's celebrating like he just won the title with the confetti <laughs> coming down. And, and that, like, ruined him. He never – he was never able to get to, like, the me- the mega babyface Lex Luger. That was – one that always kind of stands out to me too. Uh, yeah, some really fun Summer Slams along the way, and we've got Summer Slam coming up. And the one thing that you've been mentioning too, um, it's early this year. If you look at almost all of the other Summer Slams through the years, we're talking late end of August this year. We're uh, end of July, coming off of a uh, Summer Slam last year where we went a little early. Uh, actually, this is the first time. This is the first time. Last year was August 21st. This is the first time we've been this deep into July. So it does have a different feel to it. Uh, you know, a in bit. more ways, you know, more ways than one, right? It's just we're still in July, and I know we're like, oh, just two days from August, but it's still it, it just doesn't feel very SummerSlamish to me. I mean, this no. is look, there's there's WrestleMania, and then you have uh, the next tier is SummerSlam. I, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, put Royal Rumble in that equation, and I do too because that is your basically your official start. You know, you have the uh, the winner is is what main eventing WrestleMania, but in more ways than one. And now this is going to be the first ever pay per view without Vince McMahon sitting in Gorilla. Yeah, yeah. you know, first it, ever pay per view ever. Yeah, in I mean, the pay per view era. Think we think about that history this week, man. We we uh, we we had a we had a SmackDown last Friday night uh, after the news that had broke late Friday evening that Vince McMahon was retiring. Uh, we got it in a tweet from Vince after seventy something years, you know. And then we got a Raw Sma- and SmackDown didn't feel. We got no. Stephanie to come out. She said every, she let everybody in a thank you Vince chant. That was about it. It wasn't too crazy over the top with with the Vince love or anything like that because it's sort of in a weird position right now. And it's a weird position for us sort of reacting to this stuff because Vince is someone who, I mean, he created all of this. But it's hard to react and, like, give him a bunch of praise and approval because – a lot of the stuff that's been coming out right now may be reasons why Vince is retiring. We've had another Wall Street Journal article come out, and there may just been a lot of pressure for him from stockholders and from people around that sort of forced him into this retirement. So it's kind of hard to react on exactly how, how do we feel about Vince. But the one thing that is for sure, this is real. This is not like a BS thing. Triple H is in charge of creative now. Yeah. And the... This is you and I in talking this last week. I think both agreed in that I, whether or not you like Triple H it personally or how what as a wrestler or what he's done as a booker, he feels like someone who's kind of his own guy. And I think that he has a vision that's a little bit different than Vince's. I'm not saying 
Triple H isn't still going to talk to Vince about stuff here and there. Anyone would talk to someone that was the old boss. I mean, he probably has a lot of things to ask him about storylines, about wrestlers, about conversations that he had, Vince had with people, about things that he may have talked with people about, about the way things are going. And then Triple H is going to really want to put his own fingerprints on stuff. Apparently, he's already had meetings and told people, hey, look, my door is always open. I want to talk with you. I want everyone to have some input. I want everyone to feel like they have fun at work And there seems like there was a buzz On Friday it didn't feel Really any different Monday It wasn't like radically different If you were a person who had been watching Hadn't been watching and you just tuned in Monday You may not have seen a whole Bunch of things that were way Way different but the energy The feel some of the promos You could see some different fingerprints You could You could there was a different energy level. And of course, it helps with a super hot crowd, right? MSG <laughs> to go home for SummerSlam, you know. Yeah, the crowd was really hot. Uh, it, look, even going back to to uh, SmackDown last Friday night when Stephanie came out, whatever happened, happened. It, it, and me, I'm just not that person. I'm not condoning anything. There was no, as of right now, we know of no laws broken. We have said that. Um, you saw a lot of thank you, Vince. We love Vince, uh, you know, chants last Friday night. But there was a, there was a different energy level. Uh, yep. and, that, and I'm not saying good or bad. It was just different. And, uh, you know, as we, we get to SummerSlam this weekend, uh, we, we're, we're already seeing some different things. Uh, you know, Seth Rollins now, the news came out that Seth Rollins and, and Riddle has been bummer. shelled. Bummer uh, you for know, that. Super bummer. That's one of the matches I was really looking forward to. And it's, yep. it's not like there's an injury or, or COVID. Uh, it's something they want to come back to. So hopefully it all works out. But it's uh, it was definitely a, a different energy. And you can already tell, even on social media, you can see reports that, hey, his phone has been blowing up from some other people saying, hey, look, you know, and, and, you know, we heard rumors that Brock left and came back. We don't know if those are true or not, but I just say, look, Roman Reigns on Monday Night Raw says your daddy's not here to protect you. Yeah. Like, man, this whoa, is this really is real. Just 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 know this is the first time that Vince McMahon has not been in charge of a pay-per-view. No, there's been many times he hasn't been there because of health and other things going on. But uh, this is uncharted territory. This is different. This is. Well, because like you said, he hasn't been at a show, but he was in charge, right? Everything was still flowing through him. He was making the decisions. And even if it was for one night that he wasn't, his vision, he was going to be right back. This is just, he's not coming back. Vince McMahon is not in charge of creative anymore. Stephanie and Nikon are co-COOs. And Triple H is going to be the guy that makes the decisions. And I, if you were someone that was expecting there to be this radical change on Friday or Monday, I would just tell you to wait a little bit because oh, yeah. they're building up to SummerSlam. He's yeah. not going to come in and just <laughs> completely change everything. That wouldn't be fair to anyone. And it wouldn't no, make sense. No, no, because there were some good things still happening. But I do think we may see in the coming weeks and months. Some things that we saw with Triple H when he was booking NXT. It's going to be different. They have a lot more time to fill. They have a lot more TV. Things move a little quicker on the main roster than they were when he was booking NXT. But 
I think in the coming months, and I hope that we will see guys like, you know, Finn, Ricochet, um, you know, think of some of the people that Triple H worked closely with. It's definitely not going to be someone like Adam Cole. Uh, Tony Khan said he signed for a while, but people like that that were on NXT that maybe are a little bit smaller that didn't know if they were going to be able to get the site the same type of booking and get treated the same way from Vince. And if Triple H can give them more opportunities, I think that will open things up. So I do think we may see things look a little different in, you know, six months to a year with other people now starting to get more and more chances. I just don't what is he gonna do right now that would that would really change things? I think it'll be little things like the TV, the way matches are booked. The way that the show is kind of formatted I thought Monday Night Raw had a really good start Yeah, just kicked off right off the bat There wasn't the traditional Someone comes out with the promo We had like Miz and Logan in the ring Going at it right away Thought that was really good Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know Change is inevitable with anything And uh, It's not always bad Um, Sometimes it's not always good But I, I can tell you this And you know this One of the big, big complaints over the last several, several years with WWE is everyone, not everyone, but there was a majority of industry people and in the WWE universe that was wanting Triple H to get his, get his shot yep. at, at running Raw or running SmackDown. Um, he had done so well with NXT and heck, I thought this past Tuesday night, NXT 2.0 was one of their best episodes as well. Yep. I yep. uh, thought it was really good. So it's uh, interesting times. Um, it's going to be really interesting how things go this SummerSlam um, with titles and everything. Because, uh, I, I mean, imagine getting the I, – I, I don't know if this was planned from a couple of months ago. It may have been. I don't know. But he's got the keys to the car, and uh, I'm super excited that Triple H is, uh, is head of create, creative mm-hmm. because there there could have been other, others – uh, that just would have been an extension of Vince McMahon and maybe not as good. But uh, I, I think for all all said and done at the end of the day, this is great news for wrestling fans. Now, you got you got to be a little careful because if you're Triple H, you don't want to happen what sometimes feels like it happens with Tony Khan in that you kind of want to be everybody's friend. And oh, it feels uh, like, right? Sure. And then it feels sort of like everybody gets a little bit of a chance, but nobody is really getting... All the time, you know, we'll talk about AEW a little bit at the end, but th- I thought this show this week for AEW was kind of cool because you saw a few different people. And one thing I really, really liked on the show, and someone in particular getting some time, but then on the flip side, it's like again, where damn, where was Wardlow or you know, someone who was like a big deal that you had been building up? And dang, it just seemed like there aren't they, they have a tough time sort of. Finding out the best way to get a like a certain group of people over. I don't want him to, because now you, you gotta you gotta think. He was dealing with an NXT locker room. Now he's dealing with a, a Raw and a SmackDown locker room, <laughs> right? Yeah, a and bigger. a lot of people who are gonna want to come in and talk to him and say, "Oh, Triple H, man, it's you." Okay, I got all these ideas. Let's do this. And, you know, yeah, so here, come, here comes Kevin Nash and X Pac. Right? Yeah. Here, here we go. Trips, what's up? <laughs> oh, you didn't know? No. You know? We're, we're making another run. You know? Yeah. Everyone's coming <laughs> back here. Yeah, so uh, Triple H is gonna be the uh, the world champ soon. He's gonna be the one that dethrones Roman Reigns coming up. He's booked. You know, you know I, what? I, it, it and it helps. 
for for him being uh, on both sides. You know, he's been a part of that locker room. This guy's been a world champion. Tony Khan has just been a wrestling fan, regardless of the deep pockets. It's not easy when uh, you're 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 driving the ship. You're the captain, and you're you're just a big fan with a lot of money, and you've got all these guys and girls saying, "Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that." I think people respect Triple H at, at at a different level. And I think he's been looked at even when he made these, you know, some guys would come back to bury other guys, you know, Triple H would come back to WrestleMania and put people over. Yeah, you know, he, I will was, say it, fl- it flipped for him because earlier in his career, he got a lot of crap. Like the one match that people always remember is the Booker T one, oh, you know, absolutely. which sure. which, hey, like I'm not going to give him any like that was that was bad. Booker it T should have gone over there, and if not, the way it all went down, it, well, the finish and everything was wonky. But you're right. Like in the coming years, just think about like from Daniel Bryan moving forward. Sure. I mean, he helped really get get that. He had an awesome match with D. Bryan in that opener of WrestleMania, and then with what he would do for Rollins since then along the way. And he's he's put a lot of people over in you know in the coming years, and with Roman also. So I think. And just, you know, from a basic sense, it, like if you're someone who comes up to Triple H and you disagree with him, I mean, Triple H is a big dude. He's a little intimidating, right? He's a little, <laughs> it's a little different than when you're talking to Tony Khan, you know? That's like when people try to mess with me, Coop. You know, nobody. <laughs> hey, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this, Gino. What is the, I, I'll tell you mine. What is the one thing I'm looking forward to the most? And I know it's early for this, this Triple H era. Of booking is, you know, Triple H. I, I've interviewed and I've said it here many, many times. I've interviewed him a lot, especially when he was on the other side of the ring. Then he's as he went up the uh, the corporate ladder change. The one thing that always stuck with me, what Triple H told me is, and I, I think I said it last week. If you can be five star in the ring, but if you can cut a five star promo, uh, that's where you sell. That's where you make your money. And I'm looking forward. To a lot of good promos Absolutely The girls and gals That's one of the things I'm looking forward to Because I think that's going to be an emphasis We Um, already were seeing people get the chance To talk a little bit in their own words more Sure And and I think Here's the thing That doesn't mean You don't work on something Right? That doesn't mean you just go out there And you just wing it That means You sit down You come up And you have a written out promo or you have your promo memorized and then you go there and Triple H works with you on it in your words, right? It's you still work on things. I think people sometimes feel like, oh, you just got to go out, you go out there and wing it. Well, no, but you got you come prepared. And I think in wrestling and in, like in any business, if you are someone who says, hey, look, I, I'm not really a fan of the way that comes off. Can we try it this way? You better make sure you have something ready, right? You can't just say I don't like that I don't want to do that Okay well what else What would you like to do instead Or what about getting the same message across Similarly but in your own words I think anyone who comes prepared And is a hard worker Triple H is going to like Because from all accounts I don't know the guy But everything I've heard about the people who do They say he's very meticulous And that's why him and Vince got along Because he was someone who always sat in on meetings And always is willing to work really hard He's not he doesn't have a big social life either, right? He's not, he's more social than Vince. You'll see Triple H go to the Super Bowl and like show up at a, you know, at, at big events here and there, but he's not really, you know, like he's a wrestling guy. 
Do, do you, and the one thing that you mentioned earlier, do you think we see some of the smaller statue physical attributes? And I and I'm just taking, for example, like and maybe a Johnny Gargano. Absolutely. Did he hasn't signed anywhere right now, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he's got it. You think we uh, see an emphasis on that as well? Some smaller guys and, and and gals getting a shot. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you're him, you don't do it to make a point right away, but you want to make a point and say, "Hey, look, we're going to give everybody a shot here. That's that's earned it. That deserves it. Someone on your roster like a Ricochet and Finn there. What's wrong with giving them a boost a little bit more towards the top of the card?" You don't think of Finn Balor in a main event match. You don't think if you let Ricochet get built up and have an awesome Royal Rumble run or something like that, people would get behind it. If you told the right story, these guys can they can go in the main event. You put them in there and they'll go with anyone 15, and 20, 15, 20 minutes and have an awesome match. And they can do it, right? I think, I think he will want to show that. Like Alexa Bliss, who isn't on the card. She had a little promo, which... Felt like the best thing that she's done in a while and, and it wasn't really It didn't have to be much She said oh yeah hey this is Lily Lily sells a bunch of merch She said okay enough of the playtime I'm back whoever wins the title at SummerSlam I'm coming after you I don't care who it is I'm gonna go out there tonight She goes out she gets a win And she just she felt like she had a different energy And a better feel moving forward And I thought that was true all Triple H <laughs> Right And I said man this is uh you know, because the last we saw of her, she was in, she was tagging with Asuka and then winning the 24-7 title for a few seconds and losing. And she's small. I I, I, I look forward to new opportunities and what, the, you know, look and what some of these, these guys and girls do with it. That's on them. But I think a lot of new opportunities, whether it's in the ring, promo, bringing someone back. Uh, I've heard rumor, rumors of. Those in other locker rooms uh, congratulating him and said, man, this is long overdue. And uh, hopefully one day uh, I can come back, maybe, or we can work back. together again. Yeah, it is happening. And I'm not saying it, it, it's this show or this brand or whatever. I'm just saying that's how respected this guy is. And, and uh, it, it's uh, it's good for wrestling, man. It, it really is. I, you wonder about the guys like Adam Cole, Alistair Black, right? Who left? Who you don't see? You don't see Adam Cole at all anymore. And he and he, and he's been you know he's hurt uh, sure. Cole he's been banged up for a while and even when he wasn't he was on TV getting a good response it just kind of felt like something was a little bit off with with it, him it, like he wasn't quite connecting the way he was or maybe it was just because he was such a star in NXT I right think, he I think he, he was your own question I'm not saying he's not a star in AEW but when you're the you're the big fish for not, the whole time he right? felt like it's such a big deal. You come over here and there's a lot of big names on that roster that were in the WWE, that were in Impact, that were world champions, former world champions. It's tough. It's yep. tough, man. And, and then it's not, let's say this, just like in any business, Vince had some guys himself and some girls, right? There, there were some Vince people that he created or that loved Vince and that had great relationships with Vince. And they may be a little bit worried or not sure about Maybe they don't have as great of a relationship with Triple H as they did. Maybe they think things may be different for them. The one that's funny that they're kind of playing into on TV is Austin Theory. You know, like you mentioned with Roman and everyone's sort of like, hey, Vince isn't around anymore, kid. We're going to just there. He's like the little brother. Everyone's sort of treating him like like, you know, just the kid. And come on, kid. They're all just kind of laughing uh, at him. Jimmy Uso or slapped him in the back of the head. And Roman's just kind of 
like joking with him. Brock was throwing him around on SmackDown. But man, Theory is doing some great work right now. He is like the perfect. He's playing it perfectly. That heel, that whiny, that I could I could do this right now. I could do this right now. But you sort of believe that he may not cash in or that may he may lose when he tries. He's set up for a for SummerSlam against Lashley. Let's sort of get into uh we talked a lot about the card last week, but we can kind of put another uh another run around it. Um what have you been thinking about the work of uh theory? And Lashley's feeling like he's over with the crowd right now, man. He really does feel like a, a top, top baby face. I, I, I just think once, you know, they had to pivot with with the Cody uh, injury with the pectoral tear, tear, I think that changed a lot of things. And when you when you have to look at the not calling this guy was a step down, but it's basically the, it, it, it's, just, it's a sports term. It's the next man up. Somebody gets hurt for the Dodgers, a star. Uh, this guy, you know, somebody gets hurt for you know any sporting team, professional sporting team. It, it's the literally the next person up. And I like that they have built Monday nights around Bobby Lashley. Now, Roman has been in the mix the last couple of weeks because we're pushing SummerSlam and uh, he's main eventing against Brock. And, you know, Theory is, is pretty much been on Raw for the most part. Um, I, I just think that it, it's been Lashley, some of his best stuff. I, you know, yeah, we see why Lashley has had to have a mouthpiece with him, but MVP, but we're just covering for Lashley. Let's let's let him be Lashley. Let's see what happens. And uh, I think it's been I think it's been some of his best stuff. I'll always like Lashley better as a babyface too. I think he's yeah. He, he, he's a monster. He looks like a superhero. He's generally a nice guy. You know. Yeah, he's got him. a good smile too, and he just got a good like people. It's there's nothing really to dislike about him. He's a monster athletic dude. Like he's super impressive and his physique is incredible. He's just like, he's someone you should, you want to cheer for. And it just, it's taken him a while to, for his confidence and the booking and everything to all just kind of catch up with each other. Sure. Sure. And, and I agree. And, and, and on the flip side, you know, theory, what is 24 years old. He'll be 25. I think next week. And you talk about cashing in the money in the bank. Uh, briefcase that he won I had to go back and see who was the youngest world champion In WWE It was Randy Orton at 24 So I, you know say what you want to say uh, You know I definitely don't think Austin or Excuse me Theory is winning this This intercontinental title match from Lashley I would not be surprised If this is the opening match You know uh, the, 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 That's the WWE way You're right You're right Lash, You're right and then, you know, uh, Cash it, it could be stands tall at the end of the night. Better if you, yeah, it's better if you bookend. So I, I think that's uh, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic match. I think they've done pretty good. I thought it was a little goofy there, you know, for a while with the, you know, the pose downs. So, you know, and that's vintage Vince McMahon, WWE. We, we go back to the 90s with, you know, with some of that stuff. But I, I, I would like to see this match kick off SummerSlam. A really good match. I don't want to see Lashley just roll through him. I don't want to see Theory just a glorified jobber here. I want it to be a decent match, but Lashley should win it. And I think that sets up for a really, really interesting main event and see what Theory can do with uh see if he can cash in. We have uh Logan Paul versus the Miz, which we talked about. And I just I think if they would have only done the opening segment, I would have felt a little bit better about it. They did the Miz T or the 
the the the impossible or Jake uh, whatever if the Paul TV segment and it just wasn't very good with Logan Paul um and that segment and just the him trying to be the babyface thing just feels so forced there um I I don't mind the the Champa involvement and Maurice was looking great you know she came out but now it feels like the the balls thing is getting forced too much, right? It was fine and funny for a little bit, and then they kind of run it into the ground, and now it's become more of a thing. And so I, I think this match will still be fine. I really do. But the the dynamic of it is so weird with him as a babyface. It just they yeah, they try to get AJ to go give him a rub, even yeah, you know, that, and that did not that that just backfired. That they just it feels too forced. Now I think if you yep. flip this, I think if. If if Paul would have been the one who took the ch- cheap shot uh, on the Miz after their WrestleMania match, but you're forcing it, it, it just he gets in the ring. Um, if we can do a double turn, if these guys could pull it off, like if they get out there, that's a good point. And you know what's interesting is this is the only match on the SummerSlam card that does not have any betting odds to it. You know, Lashley I think's minus three, minus four hundred. He's a strong favorite. This match is not listed. That, I'm not saying this is not going to happen because the match is, but I think something it, it, it's it's could get interesting here with this match. I don't know which it, way they're looking. It is weird because, like we've said, we just mentioned AJ, we mentioned Champa. There's been weird stuff with Ziggler with Theory. Uh, Drew is now facing Sheamus on SmackDown on Friday night for the number one contender for the Clash at the Castle match. Now that Seth doesn't have a match, I mean, I could see a great pairing of like Drew Seth. That would be just like a good match to put on the card if you want to have a, a a fill-in match for Riddle and then give Drew another strong win along the way. Feels like there's a lot of people that aren't on this card that maybe could be. They uh, they did add a match though, which was built up a lot on Monday Night Raw. The Mysterios, Dominic and Ray are going to face the Judgment Day in a no DQ tag team match. Rhea Ripley made her return. What I loved about all of this stuff, they actually gave Ray a really cool moment. They didn't have him get interrupted in the middle of his moment, which it's, it, I kept waiting for Dominic to turn on him or someone <laughs> when he was cutting his promo. We're never going to get that, are we? Right. Are we, um, are we faced with the reality those two guys are never going to turn on know, each other? I guess they just must not want to do that. But <laughs> I, I I like that uh, Rhea's wearing the I'm your poppy shirt, to, you know, and oh, I yeah. thought I thought it was it was fine. And. Judgment Day feels a little bit more intriguing with Rhea around, so they add this match to the show. And hey, that was cool for Mysterio. He got a great moment on uh, on Monday Night Raw to go out there and cut was felt like a really good promo from the heart. Yeah, uh, you know, it's say what you want to the Mysterio. You know, Rey Mysterio is just a legend, uh, and I, I just if you're going to turn those two, or ever thought about it? I mean, of course, the obvious is, is Dominic turning. Um, they were even saying on Monday night, I saw on Twitter, oh, Dominic's got purple on. He's turning. You know, he, he, he's turning. I, I, I think this is a good match here to add. Um, it's it's a match that can follow a really big spot and keep the audience and keep the television, the uh, everyone streaming it on the Peacock app, uh, interested in it because, uh, you know, there, this, this card is um, – it's not a big card. You think uh, this is the second one under WrestleMania, so you think this has probably got 10 or 11 matches, and it doesn't. It's got eight. And uh, outside of Logan Paul and The Miz, there, there's some, there's a lot of good matches on this card, but this one right here can be placed anywhere, and I think it can keep the crowd. Yep, especially I agree. Big spot. 
It's a good. It's just a good match for. It's a good match to have on a card like this, and now it has a little more buzz after a, a good build-up segment for them on Monday Night Raw. I also thought the Bianca Becky had a good build-up segment on Raw. It was sort of just like them just kind of fighting, and because it's not an instance where we've seen these two go at it for a year now. They've had a bunch of matches. They've said a bunch of stuff. And now it was just like, oh, okay, we don't like each other. Let's fight. And I, yeah. I'm, I thought that was good because Bianca sometimes, like we said, can be. She felt like she hasn't had a lot of direction. She is the best version of her right now when she's linked up with Becky. They both bring a lot out of each other. Becky's awesome all over, but I think Bianca, she needs a a good dance partner to. Just to get like the best stuff out of Bianca Otherwise she comes off just kind of like A okay baby face you know she's Impressive and she's athletic but If she doesn't have a good good stories She's just not quite as interesting Her story with Becky is really Good yeah and we talked About this match uh, we've been talking about This feud for a while now It seems and I remember Specifically saying that uh, Bianca's Is, is going to be at a crossroads here Um if she loses this title at SummerSlam, she could be in trouble. Uh, the opening odds uh, say the opposite. You know, Bianca is is uh, as a favorite here. She's minus two fifty, and uh, I, I would be shocked is if Becky won this title uh, back. Um, I like Becky. I've never been a big fan of of Bianca's you know uh, character in the ring. She's phenomenal. Um, I think it's just been tough with her and the spot she's been given with Oscar, Becky, yep. so many people involved. So I, I, I think here this is going to be the last that we see of these two in a storyline. If not, uh, we're, we're going to have some trouble on the Raw side in the women's division because uh, as good as a match as it's going to be, what are they going to do differently Um uh, than what we've seen before. And I think this really helps Bianca a lot more than it hurts Becky if Bianca goes over here and retains her title. Yep. I think Bianca is going to get the job done also. And uh, then we got, you know, Aria, Alexa mentioned it. You have a couple people that you have that seem like credible challengers for Bianca. It was supposed to have been Rhea again. Then you can continue to do this crazy Becky for a little while until she inevitably becomes. Just normal babyface Becky again, badass, and she gets the match with Ronda that we we all probably really want to see, and and I could see Ronda becoming the heel, which will sort of lead us to our next match, Liv versus Ronda. I like what we've been seeing with Liv. I like the promo from Ronda last week when it was short, it was sweet, it was more to the point. That's the Ronda that they they need to present. Don't force people into roles that they're not great in. It's not, it doesn't do good for anyone, right? If someone's not great coming out and cutting like really long babyface promos that are, you know, in front of the live crowd in the ring like that, don't put them in that position. Let them cut promos more in the back that are, that can be pre produced a little bit better and then let them come out in the ring and do what they do best. That's when Rhonda comes off the best. I think she's started to look a little bit better now in the feud with Natty. And now here, she's just becoming a little bit more natural. They're pulling the better parts of her out. I agree. Um, this this is again where we're a very interesting match in uh, this the short career 
of, of being a champion for her, her title reign. Um, it, it, if she drops this belt, um, you know, Bianca is, is strong enough to, to rebound quicker than I, in my opinion, than Liv would be if she lost the title. Yeah. Um, Liv is, it would definitely, she be cannot lose right now. No, she can't do no. it. She can't lose this match in this feud, maybe the next feud against someone else, but she can't lose it right back to Rhonda. No, and that's why, you know, I always thought a third person was, was going to get involved in this match and make it a triple threat, but they haven't, they didn't go that way. Liv's minus 200. Uh, she is the favorite. Um, it, it's a little concerning here. I didn't want the odds to be too, uh, they're not going to put the odds too high with Ronda Rousey in any type of match, whether it's a gimmick match or where it's a UFC match. But I still think here that I, I, I just, as we, we said it last week, I don't think they're, Unless I'm crazy, I don't think Liv gets a clean, clean pin right here over Ronda. I think Natty gets involved somehow. I, I, somebody's going to get involved somehow, and, and I think Liv retains, but I don't think it's going to be as strong uh, as as it could be. I think a third person gets involved here and causes Ronda to lose more than Liv getting the victory, if you know maybe, what I mean. Maybe someone like Charlotte. Who could knows? be. Right? She's be. been, she got married. She's been gone for a little while. She was injured. We don't really know when she's coming back. You always wonder about things like Sasha and Naomi because Sasha is now apparently doing an autograph session and has uh, other stuff happening. But who knows? Maybe Vince is gone. Maybe things are different. Triple H was someone who obviously worked with her and did a lot of stuff in NXT. Maybe she feels better about things with Triple H. I don't know. Just throwing those, those out there. Let's get to, um, Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keeps spinning too slow. Double J, J E double F, J A double R E, double T. Special guest referee for the tag team championship match between the Usos <laughs> and the Street Profits. This has got to be the moment, right? Babyface, Nashville, Jeff Jarrett celebrating with them. Them, like, I would not even be shocked if that song gets played. Bruce Pritchard is <laughs> Bruce Pritchard is in there like right now, right? He's like a big part of what's going on. And on the shows that he would do with Conrad, he would always sing that song. And they would bring it up and they would talk about how the road dog and Jeff Jarrett would and everybody would joke and sing that song. I think they may sing the old double J song. I could see the Street Profits and Double J strutting after the match, doing a baby face celebrate with the with the red solo cups. I think it's the baby face time. I really do. Uh, what worries me is is the the opening odds. The Usos are a pretty solid favorite here at minus three hundred. But Ooh, I, yeah, I, they I am, are. I am I'm I'm going to stick with with the Street Profits here, uh, winning winning the titles. Um, yeah. I, I said last week if uh, you know if Street Profits want to be the team and, and uh, they have to get these belts. It's, uh, another. It's interesting how. These big pay-per-views can also be career-defining moments. You know, if, if you lose the titles here, it's hard to build the team back up. Look at the Viking Raiders. You know, uh, we've tried to take them serious for a while. It's just hard when when you're not the champions and you keep losing and these opportunities. And it seems like the Street Profits have only been, have have been the only le- legitimate contender for the Usos over the last couple of months. Unfortunately, they need this. They, they need, need this. And I, I'm just going to stick with it here. And, and uh, if they lose these titles, uh, you know, I, 
does Roman lose his if they keep the titles? Uh, that you know, if there's cracks in the foundation, I don't know. But there's there's some career defining moments here, and I think if the Street Profits don't walk out of here with with Double J uh, singing the tune here, they're going to be in trouble. Just feels like if the Street Profits win, you can have a story still for the Usos with the bloodline and Roman, sure. right? And you can still have stuff going on there for them. We can let the Street Profits have a run for a little while. You've got the Viking Raiders. You've got the Judgment Day now, right? Finn and and uh, and Priest. You've got even maybe even an AJ Ziggler combo that they threw together the other day. There just seemed like there might be a Gable and uh, an Otis. There would be at least like three heel teams. Like I just threw the AJ Ziggler one in there, but that feel like they're tag teams that would be ready to be f- good matchups and challengers over the next couple months for the Street Profits. With the Usos, I mean, you start looking around. Like maybe they do put AJ and Ziggler together, but I don't know. It feels like they've just been in this role for such a long time, along with Roman, them losing, and then that upsetting Roman and having some cracks in the bloodline. I think that could be. At least a story for them And that's where I'm, I'm hoping they go I hope so too Because uh, if, if the Usos do retain And that, that strong opening line Minus 300 um, It's uh, I just feel for the Street Profits You know, some things are I understand the, the Bloodline storyline But some things tend to start Getting a little old We don't want every, every champion to get Have the Roman Reigns treatment No where they, it, it shouldn't be that way, and it and it shouldn't. Roman Reigns, that's one thing, because there there's not four or five Roman Reigns caliber people with the titles currently on this. You know, the current title holders. I think the Usos is the opportunity to uh, pivot a little bit and let the Street Profits run with it, and uh, I, let the Usos chase. But man, oh man, I, uh, this would be disappointing here if the Usos retain. Pat McAfee versus Happy Corbin could be a show stealer. I think this is going to be fun. This is going to be good. These guys are going to work their butts off. They know each other well. Um, I'm expecting a fun match here with these two. Yeah, it, it, you know, I continue to beat myself up over Theory and McAfee on our, WrestleMania, on our WrestleMania roundtable that we had, uh, you know, earlier this year, which was a, a fun show to be a part of. And I, I was worried about this match. I, I was worried about McAfee and Theory. And uh, by God, I mean, who would have thought uh, Pat McAfee is just uh, you love him or hate him. And I, I, I'm in the love loving campaign. I, I think this is a showstopper here. Um, yeah. Corbin has been a lot better recently now that he's been given something other than chasing after Drew McIntyre or chasing after Madcap Moss. Um, they're going to tear the, they're going to they're going to tear the roof off. McAfee's like. a, a really strong favorite here. He won at WrestleMania, even though he had to lose to Vince McMahon afterwards. Right after. But have you some fantastic, but uh, they're going to tear the house down, man. I'm looking forward to this match. And then Roman versus Brock in the main event, last man standing match. What do you think here? Are we going to get a cash in? Who's going to head home with the title? It doesn't look like they've mentioned anything about the separation. So you would <laughs> think that if somebody cashed in, it would be for the undisputed. What do you think happens? <laughs> It's frustrating because I don't know. Roman's a small favorite here, minus two fifty. I, I think this fits. I think this is right uh, along the lines with the the Liv and Ronda. We're not going to see Brock, you know, plus four hundred anywhere on anybody's tote board overseas in Vegas on any app. It, it doesn't matter. You know, I like I like a a, a complete. I, I like a good 
a, a good change. I, I like if you're gonna go if you're gonna go balls to the wall, let's do it. I, I I'd like to see a cash in here. I don't think they were they're going to do it to Brock. Where if Brock wins, Theory comes out and and, and pins a beaten Brock. They and they very well could. That that could be what they're doing. Um, I think Roman's Roman wins this match, and I think Austin Theory somehow some way cashes this in and uh how long he holds this title i don't know what concerns me is is the big event coming up uh what is it uh combat at the castle what what are we doing here in uh clash at the castle clash at the castle that concerns me because i think uh, a lot of these people want roman reigns as your champion um so who knows but i would love i i love a good good chaotic scene uh, I'd like to see a cash in, but I do think Roman Reigns does beat Brock Lesnar here, especially now with Vince McMahon out of the picture. Coop called it the cash in. I think we're going to get a Roman win. I think Brock, you know, Roman's going to be beat down. Theory is going to tease it. And I think Ziggler is going to come out and interrupt him. And, that, and, and, and that's a good plan. That's he's been, good he's plan. been teasing it over and over. I could just see him interrupt that and then just keep Theory in a feud at least for a couple a month or so coming forward have a match with Ziggler he can kind of you know set some stuff up a- along the way and i think you're right that i i just feel like they probably want Drew Roman for the main event of that clash match and, and look it's 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 kind of interesting too they've kept uh Ziggler in theory out of any in match competition so far so far, and, and I think that's a pretty much of an indicator. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. Theory is coming out in this main event after this match is over. Yeah, it just it, maybe he comes in, you know, a, a little left. I don't know how long this main's going to go, um, but you can expect the Usos to come out, and I think Theory comes out too. So, uh, it, it, hey, look, it, it's uh, it's an added suspense. That's why I like that Money in the Bank briefcase, man. I love it. I, I love the. When uh, guys and gals threaten to to cash in anywhere, anytime on this, and it just gives another interesting aspect to the main event. We need to get our guy uh, L.A. Knight back too, just to shout out. Yeah, oh, and oh. we're teased with this, you know. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then yeah. You know, rumors. That's why he was left off TV. He's coming back as L.A. Knight. Then the next day he posts, "Oh, Max Dupree is you know off taking." You know, some business trips and we have a Maxine Dupree who was, you know, who was the sidekick of Von Wagner and Robert Stone on NXT. And hey, no complaints here. She can she can lead my stable any day of the week, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're <laughs> up. Let's see yeah. if we can get old Maxine Dupree back to uh, L.A. night, possibly. So uh, let's move along and let's quickly hit on some NXT and uh, quick some thoughts on AEW. NXT, we had. Grayson Waller defeat Wesley, but it was another instance where Wesley is getting, he's getting built. You know, it was Trick Williams who came in and who interfered in the match again. So they're having him lose, but they're building him up while he's losing. Apollo Crews beat Zion Quinn. Zoe Stark, she cut a promo to open the show. She ends up beating Gigi Dolan later on. Giovanni Vinci beat. Andre Chase. No teachable moment tonight, but it was a fun match. Fun match. <laughs> yeah, what well, a lot of fun. Indy beat Ariana Grace, and then Tony D, Loren Channing, Cruz, and Joaquin Wild beat the Diamond Mine there in the main event, which was another fun match. So uh, NXT, we'll hit on this a little quicker. 
We uh, we got the setup with Zoe Stark. I mean, she's good in the ring. She looks fine. She mentioned, you know, that she's back. But this is, and I'll give I'll give her a little more. Yeah, I'll give her more time. But this this is not her strong suit yet. Um, I I think she's better in her own voice than when she was trying to play the like, yes, funny corny sidekick to Io Shirai. You know, this is better. She's just gonna need a little bit of time to find her voice. She's she's good in the ring, but I don't know. I don't feel like she's the one that's gonna be dethroning Mandy or anything. It didn't feel like, um, I, but but at least she is a she's back and and you know they've got her set up for a match in three weeks for the title. Yeah, and you still have Cora Jade in the picture. She came from the the NXT rafters, so to speak. Um, I, you know, if somebody's gonna, if you want a a a really good in-ring champion. I, I don't think you have to really have that anymore in this day and age in professional wrestling, um, especially on something like NXT. And I'm not knocking Mandy Rose at all, but she, she's been fantastic uh, since coming uh, to Tuesday nights. But, you know, that promo, it just, it just didn't get it for me. Uh, I do like her better without EO, but it, it's just not doing it. But I did think it was interesting that Cora Jade popped up and I, I think we could see a triple threat. You know, I think Cora was involved with the, the tag team tournament that we've got coming up here, or not tournament, but uh, the Fatal Four Way with Alundra Blaze is is back. Um, I don't know which way they go here. I really don't know. I think it's time maybe to move the title off Mandy Rose, but I think Cora Jade way too young. I thought her opportunity they thought was a couple of months ago, and they pivoted off that. So. I, I can tell you this: Zoe can go in the ring. She's, she's yep. really talented. It's just she is. she's hard to buy on the mic, man. Yep. But I, um, I think you know you got Roxanne in the mix too, and you mentioned they've got they're going to have a fatal four way for the women's tag team championships next week because they pulled the tra the uh, belt back out of the trash. Cora <laughs> Jade, Cora Jade threw it in the trash. Alondra Blaze shows up. And she pulls it back out of the trash, which I thought was good to have Alondra sure. there yeah. along with. Uh, I like with, when they come back with good, hit, big, big moments in wrestling history. Yep. And some of these guys and gals come back because, you know, not a lot of these newbie fans know any of that. And uh, I'm sure they probably looked it up like, who is this? I, I love when stuff like that happens. I really do. Um, We got uh, Apollo, Zion. I don't it was Apollo wins. I just didn't feel very as good about Apollo right now as I did a few weeks ago when he came in initially. And I thought he just he doesn't feel like any, anything all that special right now. No, he came in and cut a, a fantastic promo. And then, he, you know, he says, hey, look, I, I'm coming for the title, uh, the NXT title. And then next thing you know, he's in a tag match. And then after that, he loses. Um, the match was OK. I had no problem with it. I don't think it elevated or made either one of those guys look totally agree. But they were before the match. No, totally agree. We uh, we then look looks like we're going to get a more serious Wendy Chu. Um, <laughs> I did I did think that JD McDonough came off pretty good here. He oh. sort of came off like really evil, very smart, sort of like a like a serial killery, you know, just someone who's like kind of creepy. He walked over to the announce table and he said something to Wade Barrett about his hands like being callous and. Old and then he he told Vic Joseph his bones were like brittle and and then Wade kept uh kept joking with uh Vic all throughout the show afterwards. I I thought he came off very very well and has come off very good so far in the, in a few weeks. Uh, that kid's a star. 
I mean, he yeah. just is, it, there's something there. Um, and again, he's not the biggest guy um, on that roster. Uh, I, but I think he's too good on the mic and he's really good in the ring. And I think this character, this is what I was hoping for with Joe Gacy. Right? Yes, I agree. We're still kind of More of this goofy promo, two goons. But this is how they should have went with Joe Gacy. Nonetheless, this this kid's killing it, man. I He's a, I, I could see him beating Braun for the I, title. I agree. He is over right now. He is a good. He's just been presented really well to start. Um. Yeah, you mentioned the weird stuff with Gacy. So he's had he's going after Cameron Grimes. Looks like Nathan Frazier and Vinny Vinny Vinci. It, it, it just it does. <laughs> oh man, I'm just laughing yeah. at my own jokes over here, Gino. Don't no, mind no, please, don't please mind go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, pop yourself. No. Pop yourself. Well, get yourself over no. right here. No, no, no. I'm not going to name the town that I'm in to get a quick pop, like Mick Foley would always do. You know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, right here in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> yeah, like I've been. Oh, but here in Kalamazoo, yeah, you know all that. Um. The Tony D stuff here is is I, I'm kind of already not ha- not just I'm not into it. Yeah, uh, it, it, I, I don't it started, like it as much. No, nah, it started interesting, and it's not the same with uh, Escobar Santos Escobar not involved in it. I agree. Uh, I, I just it's hard to get into uh, Giovanni. On the other hand, whoo that uh, again that match was probably the match of the night. It's one of the better NXT matches fun. I've seen. It was it fun. Was really, really good. And Chase, you man, you you can't help but like like this group. You just can't help but the enthusiasm's there. And he doesn't have to win every match. Now we don't want him to have a forty match losing streak, but at the same time, uh, it's okay for somebody like him to lose because it makes you want to like support him and and get behind him more. It's like that football team that has this losing streak, and you're rooting for the little guy. And Chase, you Florida Atlantic upsets Virginia Tech, you know, yeah. in the third game of the season or whatever it is. I, I just, I, I'm, I love the gimmick. I do too. And this will be fun because Vinci and Frazier should have a match coming up now. It looks like, and that'll, yeah. that'll be a, a really, really good match. We, um, yeah, we just got a lot of setup for the NXT women's tag team championship um, next week where they're going to have the match, uh, a fatal four way. And we, uh, we finished up with the, Tony D and the family match, as we mentioned, there was nothing wrong with the match, especially with the diamond mine. You know, it's going to be good, but it it just it doesn't feel quite the way it should without Santos. It was almost like they had a story going with him. And then that they just they completely diverted from that. <laughs> we had a funny uh, little disconnection here with uh, with me and Koopa Loop, but we're back as Koop was sitting in his car cutting a promo on Tony D, and he was just talking to himself. He didn't realize, but I guess we, as we said, it's it's not as if the action was bad or anything. It just it felt like they were they had a story they were telling with Santos that was going to come back and culminate in something, and then next thing we know. He's throwing some guy in the river, sleeping with the fishes. Santos isn't there anymore, and uh, it doesn't—it it just hasn't flowed very well. There's, it seems like there's no purpose for yep. Tony D right now, and uh, him and Santos did very well. And look, maybe Santos is dealing with an injury. Maybe he wanted some off time. Maybe it's something that you know we can't totally blame on Tony D. But man, when you take someone out of a storyline that's that good, just look at the Kevin Owens. Uh, uh, Elias, Ezekiel, Elias, Elrond. 
yeah. storyline. There, there's really nothing there, and uh, it's Ezekiel, Ezekiel hasn't been as good um, without that his counterpart. So uh, that shows you how good Santos is. I mean, you know, look, Santos would be someone great on the main roster too. But uh, Tony D, it just it doesn't. You know, it's kind of interesting uh, here a placement uh, of what they do. But man, I tell you this: the Creed brothers are, are still all that and some Love stars. Yes, absolute, time. absolute stars. So we'll be building to an NXT show that I think is three weeks away. They said we'll uh, we'll continue yeah. to talk about that in the next few weeks. Let's spend a few minutes on AEW as we move over to Dynamite, and we had Moxley open up the show beating Roosh. We had uh, Ricky Starks have a big night. He first defeated Danhausen, and then he lost to Hook. But I thought overall he uh, he looked really good. Sammy Guevara beat Dante Martin. We had Swerve beating Mark Sterling and Tony Nice, and Thunder Rosa beating Miyu Yamashita. Daniel Garcia beat Brian Danielson in the main event. So positives, negatives. We got blood twice on the show <laughs> in <laughs> matches that don't have really any buildup. Sure. I don't mind it, you know, when they're in in the right spot, but it just sort of when you have blood in every show, every episode, and multiple times on a show, it doesn't feel as big of a deal. Now we had Moxley open the show, and I don't know why. Like, why do they have to keep calling it the interim title now? Like, why isn't it? Why isn't it just the title? Like, you know what else bothers me? I just don't know why the world champion is opening up the show every week in a match or second. Wasn't it last week? He was second. Yeah. In the middle of the middle and sort of like a nowhere tag match with, with Wheeler Yuta where he wasn't really even involved all that much. And, and, and look, there's a lot of star power that, that is missing. Uh, and it shows you how, even at his age, it shows you how good and uh, that CM Punk is. I have no problem with Daniel Bryan and and what Dante Garcia or Daniel Garcia, and they okay. were it the, the match was really good. Um, and they were telling a little bit of a story there at least, right? Sure. That sure. maybe Bryan Danielson came back a little too early and he didn't even tap out; he kind of passed out. And then there was also something with Hager in there that looks like it's leading to a Bryan Danielson versus Hager match or feud. So I I can tell that story is fine. But then on the on the, then on the flip side, like you said, you don't have your world champ in the main event or your women's champ who's defending the title. She's just kind of there in that same spot the women are always in where they don't get a whole lot of time. It's right before the main event. And instead of having a Britt Baker, a Tony Storm, uh, you know, more stuff from Ruby, more stuff from any women that you'd like on your own roster. You have someone who's not really a part of your roster getting TV time. I thought the match was fine, but I don't know if it, what it's do. Did this do anything for Thunder Rosa? No, and I, I don't, what does it do for? Uh, no, it doesn't. It was a fine match. I have no problems with it. it. It just there's no. I just don't want. Hey, here's a good match for our women's champion. Let's put it on TV without kind of anything because again. We think all of our fans are the smartest wrestling fans in the entire world. I, I also, again, we're getting Thunderstorm next week. I, I just, I don't like the fact that Tony Storm, who's lost to Thunder Rosa on a pay-per-view, is now, hey, I'm not good enough. If you can't beat them, join them. That's basically what we've done here with Tony Storm. Yeah. I, I just, again, I, I thought, I just don't like your world champion 
wrestling in matches that that just does doesn't make any sense. You know, I saw the ratings back around nine seventy, so it looks like we're going to be comfortably in the nine hundred thousand range. Um, again, you know, after watching the show, I, I thought it was better than last week. I thought there was some lame things that's going on. I, you know, well, you know what I like? They didn't. It wasn't as as overwhelming. As some yes. weeks yes. where there was like a billion things going on, so so I'm not going to get as uh, hard on them about like some of the things they didn't have, but it feels weird not to have Wardlow on there. It, it does, and he was the hottest thing going, and now it seems like are we going back to Chris Jericho and Moxley in yeah. the title picture? That's going to be the title you know, match in a few weeks from now. I, I don't um, like that, you know. I, I, Anna like J is a part of this. Anna J comes out and she's cutting a promo like Anna J A S. I, <laughs> I think she looked good. I just thought she does look good. This was a weird addition to have her in there helping set up the Jericho Moxley title match in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, that that was a big a big negative. I love Chris Jericho. Have you know? I'm not the biggest. Moxley fan, but I definitely respect him. And you know, you can only do with with, with what you're told to be to do. I thought Ricky Starks probably had the he stole the night. He had of, an, of his AEW career, man. The best I night. I don't like Hook winning that title, but you know what? I don't think that title really means anything anymore. Me neither. So get it off of Ricky and let's shoot this guy to the top. He has. He was to giving him everything. a moment to turn babyface, and then there was. I thought the. The Hobbs going after him was good. It'll give Ricky yeah. and Hobbs to have the chance to have a, a match. Moment and hopefully without a doubt. He's a star. This stood out to me, no doubt about it. I, I like Ricky Starks quite a bit. And give this guy a run now. Give him an opportunity and take this belt off of him because, like you said, Hook can have it. It's fun. They can have the little tie with Hook and uh, and Taz, and he can sort of have sure. this thing for a while. Ricky Starks is ready for the main event, man. This guy's ready. Push him towards the top. I'm not saying give him the main title right now and run, but get him in bigger feuds with more prominent players here. He he needs to take a step up onto the next level. Yeah, because uh, if we're just living on, uh, we're just banking on having these former WWE guys carry the load. I'm not saying put a title on him. I'm with you, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. But if we're about building stars and making things count, you better be careful because uh, I, I'm telling you, WWE is going to start signing some folks. Yeah, I know yeah. their method is to to bring in a lot of people with no wrestling experience. They're just athletic. But when you got an NJF, you got a Ricky Starks that's on the market, and they start listening to offers, you're going to wish you, you probably gave him a little extra two or three minutes every Wednesday night on Dynamite, don't you think? And- and to keep in mind now, like you said, Triple H is in charge. Honeymoon period is over a little bit for Tony Khan. You don't really have the same guy, Vince, who a lot of people didn't really have that great of a relationship with. We've already seen Cody, MJF, people who were a big part of this company at the very start who aren't anymore. A lot of the people who were there in that first press conference at the very, very beginning, they're not around. They're not on TV. Their contracts were went out. They didn't really end up getting pushed all that much once bigger stars started coming in. So it's yeah, you just got to be smart. Someone like Ricky Starks could be a big star anywhere he goes, and I think treat him well. Um, you know, we don't see we don't see FTR on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. Who they've been our pay per view. We had Jay Lethal on there. Yeah, you know, and they've been one of the most over acts. 
So another just issue is you know you're trying to do think about from when AEW has begun. We had TNA Impact stuff and titles on here. FTW title. We've got New Japan titles. We've got Ring of Honor titles. Now they're going to add a six-man title. Yeah, we got a trios, and it looks like the Young Bucks and and Hangman Page, you know, are are, are getting back together. I will say Uh, that segment made me sort of laugh. It was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty funny. The they were it was like the awkward ex-girlfriend, you know. How are you? Hey, your uh your your birthday's today, right? Oh yeah, Yeah. your birthday's tomorrow, right? Oh yeah, you know, uh, awkward. And then the the look good. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So that was that was kind of funny. I I did laugh about that. And um, the uh, oh, Jungle Boy cut a promo. So so promo here. Okay, positives, negatives about the promo. I thought it was a good promo for him. He doesn't. He's not someone who's got a lot of mic time like this before to cut promos. So I like the intensity. I like the fire behind it. The only thing I thought I somebody said this on I think it was on WrestleLink or, or another show I was listening to or reading through is that it it felt like when a a young kid learns a cuss word for the first time, you know, and then they keep saying it over and over again because he was dropping his like just dams and bitch and shit, you know, just like any small little pr- pussy and just and everything <laughs> that he can say. It was just like all of the bad words rolled up in one, but. I thought he looked and sounded pretty good. There was some good intensity there in it. And then Christian comes back and, you know, he got just brutal again, talking about his father in a body bag. And I, I feel good about them when these guys have their match inevitably, I think it'll be a good match. And this week was, was fine towards the buildup and it wasn't fantastic, but it was, it was solid. I didn't mind it. Yeah. I I don't think adding a trios title, does anything i think what it does for them you know don't forget we also have a mid-atlantic championship uh that that is on that roster where's he been where's Pac been i haven't seen him but i think it's just an opportunity to give people titles to make them feel like hey we still love you you know even though the bucks and hangman win it it's like hey you know we still love you type deal um it just seems like there's no again our biggest our big one of our biggest complaints on Wednesday nights has just been uh, continuity, mm-hmm. um, consistency, and, consistency, and and how you perform. Um, you know, some of the in ring work has not been the problem. It just really hasn't been. It's just how these storylines have been built, and it hasn't been storyline stuff. It's been it's almost like the the New Japan blueprint. I remember when New Japan first came on Axis TV. One week you'd get two hours of great matches. The next week you'd get some of those guys you wouldn't see them for two or three weeks, and then they'd cut a promo or whatever it is. But you know, and that's fine. It just I personally don't think, and I think that, and we are looking at from like a number standpoint and overall, you're never going to be able to be like a mainstream and growing organization. If that's the way you want to present your product where it's only focused on solid in-ring work and then rotating different people in and out all the time. You really do have to pick a group of people that are your main characters on any TV show. Think about if people are watching a TV show that's a week-to-week TV show. Every time you bring in a bunch of new characters, it's hard to to embrace them if you don't really know them. You don't know their backstory, what happened, who are they – 
Are they married? Are they in love? Are they young? Are they old? What are they doing? What's their job? What's going? You know, you don't think about if every week you're watching a show and then there's new characters who you don't really know very well, and then the problem is they don't tell you about them very well. WWE is a show who tells you about them too well sometimes, <laughs> right? They'll slap you over the face with these video packages. But I did think Starks major positive. Again, a lot of in-ring work that was quality. Looking forward to Christian versus Jungle Boy. So, um, not bad for AEW this week coming out. I like the fact that it didn't seem like every match was ending with a bunch of schmas, and then six more people came out, and then there were like rushing right through to the next thing. Things breathed a little bit better this week. I, I agree. I agree. And you also got to look at too. AEW needs to know this is not the '90s anymore. We're not going to have these wars anymore. There's there's too many other options. To keep your eyes occupied on, you know, back then there was cable. There were some satellite companies around back in the 90s, but then there's about 40 or 50 different streaming services. So it's not just the battle of two wrestling companies. Uh, I, I think for in order, for, they're going to survive because they have the money. If you want to be viable, uh, we, we, we need some stuff, some s- substance here between matches and some of these storylines. So I, I just don't know. If Jericho Moxley does it for me, but you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's a it's a weird way to pivot because they have a roster full of wrestlers, and uh, not very many of them are getting the opportunity for uh, uh, not just TV time, but uh, a good quality title run or, or title matches. Because look at how some of these champions have been booked. Miro, you know, they said a little, oh. they had a little thing with him and Alistair Black, but it was just really small. Malachi really Black, great. just sure. really small stuff. And uh, right before we get out of here, Coop, I just saw on social media that Dwight Howard was a surprise participant at the WWE tryout in Nashville today. <laughs> he goes, he shows up there and he di- he cut promos. He was there for hours cutting promos with the other attendants at the tryouts. He said he wants, he said he legit wants to be in the WWE. Oh, uh, well, you know, he's, uh, he's been over in your neck of the woods here. Yeah. Man. You know what? He, I will say. Dwight Dwight Howard is a physical specimen still. He's got sort of a funny, goofy kind of personality where he could cut promos and stuff. He would look good in a ring. He just, I mean, I don't know, but I don't know what, you know, if he was really serious about it, but he's got great size. He's like six foot nine, you know, massive well, dude. Carl looks, Malone and, and Dennis he Rod- looked, I was going to say Malone is He looks a lot like Malone did Towards the end of Malone's career Like they're in in that type of shape So keep an eye on Dwight Howard (laughs) We'll talk about that soon Koopa Loop my man I'm excited for SummerSlam I'm excited for moving forward This new era We've In our lifetime We've never seen pro wrestling Pay-per-views in the WWF Without Vince McMahon or Stories or a company that wasn't Everything fed through him on all accounts, and this is going to be different now. Yeah, hopefully we're not saying, oh, my God, we wish Vince wouldn't have retired so soon. But I I think you have the right person running the ship here and uh, the right move. Uh, Again, it's just, you know, change is inevitable. And we knew sooner or later uh, Vince would step down, and it's happened. And uh, it, it does make it for more interesting time. And. You know, it, it sucks that uh, a match or two is not on SummerSlam, but uh, I really look forward to seeing that pay-per-view. It's going to be it's going to be a, a solid night of matches. I hopefully we get some good surprises. 
Make sure to give him a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Koopaloop has a great, great job where he's a fantastic photographer out there. You can see some of the great pictures that he has and some of the events and the people he gets to interact with. My man, thank you so much again. Look forward to talking uh, about what happened at SummerSlam with you next week. We'll see you next week. Oh, you know, you know what? I we got to at least I had to at least mention it on Sunday. We've also got the Flair last match. Uh, oh, it is it's sold out. It's yeah, sold you know what? Out. I gotta say, I think I'm gonna order that thing. I do because okay. you know what? We when we talk about it's a one time pay per view. It's not like it's gonna be something where it's a show that they're expecting me to pay sixty bucks every month. I think it's like thirty five bucks. I can get the pay per view, and the undercard looks kind of the fun. There's a is, lot of dude. The card uh, is solid. The card it, is solid. And I think in the last few weeks they put together a couple of fun videos on social media to try to build this thing. I don't. I feel like with Flair doing it with a fan, like with a lot of his family around, and with Conrad there, I don't think he's going to go too crazy. I think it'll be pretty fun. I'm kind of intrigued by it. So maybe SummerSlam Saturday, and then uh, Flair's mat- last match on Sunday. I think you may have talked me into buying another pay per view this weekend, Gino. There we go. Well, Koopa Loop, we'll uh, we'll be talking about it, and we'll go back and forth this weekend. Thanks so much, buddy. You have a good one. Talk soon. You got it, buddy. Don't go anywhere, folks. A lot more to come on this episode. Big thanks to Koopa Loop for helping us out there, and uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate Eric helping us out with the AFC West team-by-team previews. We will finish up Miss Marvel. I just recorded that one with Tim Kelly. I was a little bit backed up with everything from having uh, COVID, so now it seems like we should be back on track. I'll have uh, Tim Kelly and um, a breakdown of the final episode and the season finale of Miss Marvel. We'll also have an old wrestling rewatch to talk about with Andrew Champagne, and we'll get some Louisiana Downs coverage for you coming up in through the weekend, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday in just a day or two. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. Good luck this weekend.